This is the Criterion Creeps Podcast. I'm Jared Duncan. RJ Baylog. And we're just two guys who have no other choice now to creep our way through the Criterion Collection one spine number at a time in order to release. This week, we're finally learning how to speak English. As we watch Spine 174 on the Criterion Collection, Jean-Luc Godard's Band of Outsiders from 1964. But first, we're joined by, some might say, the third Beatle, perhaps the George Harrison of the Criterion Creeps podcast, Mm -hmm. Frank Solano. I'll take that. Hi. If Frank is George, who are you and me? Uh, Don't you, say Jelman Pond. Y- you can be Jan. You can be Jan. Jan. Yeah. I'll uh, be, I'll I'd be not, all. I'd like to be Yoko. Mm. <laughs> so would that make Oliver uh, Ringo then? Oh, yeah. There was some robot voice. Yes. Uh, I was, <laughs> that was, you, were, you jumped right to that joke. Yes, Oliver, unfortunately, is Ringo. But he is the best actor. Well, I don't know if that's necessarily a bad thing to be Ringo, though. Hey, he's a he's he does his best. No, he tries. Mm-hmm. So here we are, gents, once again on a Wednesday yeah. evening. Here we are. But Just now, doing our thing. but now it's like really uh, nice outside. There's much better things to be doing that rather than in the cold of winter, at least for us. Oh yeah, it's not that bad down here. That's good. That's good. <laughs> it's bad, but in the weather for Oh. <laughs> Is RJ frozen on your screen? I have no idea. Our <laughs> RJ might have fallen down the time hole. That's okay. We never needed him anyway. What? Am I still here? <laughs> uh, I don't know. Okay. That's fine. That's fine. Anyways, mm. hi guys. Let's not talk for three hours. That's like my goal. <laughs> that seems to be the uh, the track record of guest episodes. So let's hop right into it. Let's hit these emails. Well, Jared, what we we know that you want to speed things up, so that's why I took the initiative and I, I made my dinner to have during the podcast. I don't know if you if you know. Mm-hmm. But I take this podcast very professionally. I see. Is that, think, is that an Arby's cup? It might be. Is that it some, might be. some matzo sticks that I see both of you eating? Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, Frank is a premier podcaster. I mean, mm-hmm. he takes this thing professionally. Perfect. I do mean, you I'm pretty sure. Have, I mean, I think that's the, the best way to do uh Jean-Luc Adard by is uh, munching down on some uh, matzo sticks uh, while matzo discussing sticks from uh, who some arguably uh, call his masterpiece. <laughs> the matzo stick or band apart? See, Skype's having revenge on you right now. It's, it's not like in this disrespect <laughs> at what? all. Yeah. You guys have had a good streak for a while of no, like, uh, no screw-ups from Skype's. Yeah. Perspective, but oh yeah, it's 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 here. It's, it's back. A full force. It it, it it is waiting. Just just it, waiting. Well, I'll try my best, you guys. But if I get really bad, just let me know, and I'll um I'll just quit. We're good. <laughs> yeah, you'll, you'll go <laughs> offline forever. I mean, yeah. that's what I'm here for. All right, here you go. Well, I'll let those uh those two meatheads eat their Arby's, and I am going to read some emails from our dear oh, okay. listeners. Okay. Yeah. So, 
First up, Oliver Granger. <laughs> this, this is getting wild. We're recording from an Arby's. <laughs> we should just leave this in. Dude's eating uh, Arby's. Yeah, people talking in, to Frank. People coming into rooms. <laughs> giving Ric Flair woos. Woo! Hey, Jared, do you ever come into people's rooms? Like... Without them knowing I'm in the house? Yeah. Um, not that I recall or I'm willing to admit to. Well, I guess that's fair. Fair and honest. Fair and honest. Okay, well, we're going to eat our Arby's that you clearly didn't get the memo for. Yeah. I don't know what school you went to for podcasting, but uh, here in <laughs> the bigs, mm-hmm. we know how things are done. Cool. So... We'll get after it. So, first up, Oliver Granger, entitled Frighting Dead Food. So, I've had a thought about what pisses me off in movies. Food. Mm. (laughs) I hate how in movies no one finishes their food, constantly leaving restaurants with half-eaten meals or drinks. Pulp Fiction Mm -hmm. is a good example of this. They make a big deal about the food and the milkshake, but uh, leave it to do a stupid dance. Or the busy person leaving with a piece of toast in their mouth while putting on their suit, even though their partner had made a full breakfast spread, pancakes, juice, muffins, and breakfast, uh, muffins and cereal. You mentioned Wake and Fright last episode and only briefly mentioned RJ should not watch it. To be clear, RJ do not watch it in all caps. And uh, he, has a, he has a quote here. The kangaroo hunting scene contains graphic footage of kangaroos actually being shot. The hunters were getting really drunk, and they started to miss. It was becoming this orgy of killing, and we, the crew, were getting sick of it. Kangaroos hopped about helplessly with gun wounds and trailing intestines. And then he asks me, when are you going to watch the Deadwood movie? Um, soon? Soon. Yeah, do it soon. Already, I know. Well, there's some debate uh, debate for me whether or not I should be uh, watching all 30 episodes of the original series and watching the movie again, or just say fuck it and just watch the movie and be disappointed. Do whatever feels right, I guess. But hey, you know what? Pet peeve Oliver won't have in this episode. What's that? People fin- people not finishing their food. That's right. Because me and Frank Solano just downed some beef and cheds like <laughs> nobody's business. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm trying not to make a sound, so I'll do it slowly. I might not finish it, but I'll announce if I don't. Okay. It's okay. Then, uh, I'm an maybe maybe Oliver will come back and uh, challenge me and actually bring some food and finish it. You know? <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Next up, Justin Peterson. He writes, questions for the creeps. Hey there, Jared, RJ, and Frank. (gasps) How did he know? (laughs) Here are a couple. He listened all the way to the end of the episode. Here are a couple more questions to fill up some time on the only Criterion podcast around. So, Jared, with you being uh, a big D&D guy, uh, could you recommend some lesser-known sword and sorcery movies I should check out? Um, Sure. How about Dragon Slayer? That movie is pretty awesome. Um... Hmm. I wouldn't oh, sorceress. Sword and sorcery movies. D and D style movies. Yeah, Dragon Slayer from nineteen eighty one would definitely be one that I think is actually holds up way better than you'd ever expect. But uh I'm just gonna click onto my uh, patented tags, take a look at my diary. Mm. Mm. Most of these movies aren't very good though. 
That's kind of the uh, the truth of the matter. Fire and Ice, the animated movie, is pretty good. Uh, I really like this one called Hearts and Armor from 1983. And Jared, yeah, what about Sorceress? Mm, that's uh, not necessary. Certified creep pick. Uh, Beastmaster from 1982. That's a total guilty pleasure. Probably like mm. Sorceress. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so with you guys watching these criterions each week, can you recall the first art house and foreign language movie you ever saw? RJ is going to love love this of mine because I would consider Fight Club to be the first artsy movie I saw. And my (laughs) first foreign language film was Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Yeah, I would say, I I mean, Crouching Tiger would would have been the first foreign language movie I saw in theater because... Uh, like in this neck of the woods, there is not a lot of uh, opportunity to see foreign language movies, and that would have been like a pretty big deal at the time. Um, as far as first arty art house movie that I would have seen, probably when I was renting Louis Benoit movies. Oh, you nerd! It's true. <laughs> what, do you, what do you mean renting Louis Benoit movies? There was no rental stores that had Benoit movies. The library. Oh, you're such a nerd. <laughs> Which library? The Lethbridge Public Library? The Le- yeah, the Le- yeah the- I've talked about this. If you've listened to our podcast, RJ, about how I don't. Uh, a lot of the uh, early, back when those they were just straight up Giannis collection, old Gene. Mm. <laughs> what about you, huh, The Janus movies? Yeah. Uh, Frank, I actually, do you have an answer? Yeah, I have my, like I thought of mine right off the bat. But the first foreign movie in theaters that I watched wasn't until uh, this last year. It was Suspiria, the... Hmm. The masterpiece that you know you guys gave five stars. <laughs> oh yeah, um, <laughs> beloved. But the first, I think, because I started like with action movies with my dad and stuff, I started out looking for you know martial arts and westerns, and I found uh, was it Jarmusch's Dead Man? Yep. From '95, and I think it was Hero, because it was on Netflix at the time, and I was just like trying to find something different to watch, and I ended up with Hero, which is another five star masterpiece, which. Uh, Jarrett gave that unforgivable three stars. <laughs> he does that. <laughs> mm-hmm. He's a bad dude. Yeah. What would you, RJ? Uh, was it was it specifically in the theater? The foreign no. language film? No. No. Oh well, then probably like Godzilla or some kind of martial arts movie. Yeah, the uh, friend of the show, Ryan Nagels. He he used to watch um not like just Drunken Master, but like uh. I think, uh, isn't there one Crippled Masters? Do you know that one, Jarrett? Crippled Avengers? Maybe it was Crippled Avengers, which will come up again later in the podcast. Yeah, there's, there's a bunch of crippled things. Yeah, so something like that would probably be uh, the first one. But um, first art house film? I don't, I don't know. I don't think I've ever seen any. I, I tend to stay away from those. You never from those see, you've, you've never seen one. <laughs> No. Yeah, he's been sticking to what the the fans of the shows that you know they chime in about uh, sticking to blockbusters. Yeah, that's what yeah. Uh, RJ does. Yeah, I I like American Sniper. Uh, I like Shooter. <laughs> I like uh, the Transformers movies. Those are you great. Know, whatever. Whatever. Michael, you like your Bay him? Who's that? Michael Bay. I don't know what what names are, man. I just know that I like the movies. Oh, I see. There <laughs> Do you, you see what I'm doing? I see what you're doing. A real, real film fan. Yeah, real film. <laughs> so uh, that's my non-answer for you guys. Outstanding. Finally, mm-hmm. are there certain genre styles that can instantly drag down your interest in a movie? For me, when things get melodramatic, my enjoyment generally begins to tank, which is what ruined the movie Holy Motors for me. 
And any mm. any things spring to mind for you too? He said melodramatic, and I thought Pedro Almodovar. Yeah, but he's I don't know. He's great, I think. So maybe uh, Justin might want to try those out and see how how well he fares with that melodrama. Because Almodovar is pretty good. Yeah, but, I'm not sure how he feels about the Douglas Sirk movies. I'm not sure if he's seen those or not. Those are good. I like see. those melodramas. If I uh, have a genre that turns me off, it's probably probably apocalyptic movies. I don't tend to like those very much. Like uh, in any way, like kind of like the dreary, realistic ones to like the like disaster movie type of ones where it's like twenty twelve or <laughs> yeah, I guess it's mostly those the disaster types. Like because I do have a few that I like. I like the road. Yeah, and... I was gonna say I like the road or something like that. Is like if it has a different vibe to it. Uh, Book, of like a... Book of Eli. Book of Eli. Oh, I used to like that, one. and then I then I grew up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> He was blind the whole time, Jarrett. <laughs> what a um, for me, Jarrett, I hate everything. So I, I'm just going to say that all genres turn me off in uh, one way or the other. Right? <laughs> I'm really turning into the Jarrett of the podcast. <laughs> just not being interested in anything. Just shitting on everything. Uh, for all me, post-Matrix yeah. uh, post action movies, I think, uh, oh, yeah. are just not good that mm. whole era and like i i pretty well that's it's a thing that's kind of emerged over time too like everything kind of comes out of that tradition like the the hollywood blockbuster like i <laughs> don't know the last time i really i mean would mad max fury road count as a hollywood blockbuster i don't think it does like it doesn't feel like it whatsoever even though like it basically it has the same like kind of like frivolousness to that but it's like isn't so, it it's so ambitious though and it's and like it's like weird thing cause it's like warner brothers money but it's an australian production or like so i don't know it's kind of a weird yes because it had a good box office run right isn't yeah, it, that necessarily what counts it as a blockbuster well i think it's like the design of a movie to be a blockbuster so because i mean there's movies that flop that are like supposed to be summer blockbusters but then they just like the idea is like it's not so much that they are going to be they are it's not a description of like oh yeah they made a lot of money at the box office because usually it's the movies that like it's time for the big movies because everyone's out of school but like that doesn't even mean anything anymore people just go to movies all the time like if they want to go to a movie they're going to go to the movies it doesn't matter if school's still mm-hmm. in like that whole uh idea of like summer being the time for like big movies i think it's such a misnomer like it doesn't it's not relevant anymore people will go They'll they'll see it in the dead of winter. If there's a movie they want to see, they'll go see it. So yeah, the summer blockbuster though is like, I don't know these these next two months. What's coming out? Like uh, another Spider-Man movie? Uh, Child's <laughs> Play. Well, that's already out. Yeah, that's coming out soon, Jared. I think it came out. Like, no, it's yeah. coming out pretty soon. I, I think you're pretty excited uh, about dude, it. I'm very <laughs> excited because I saw it twice already in theater. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, with with mm-hmm. Silver Fox, RJ. Did you actually see that movie? No. Oh. <laughs> well, I, I don't keep track of what you watch sometimes. And do you uh, think do you think Silver Fox did go though? That uh, guy went for sure. Yeah, pretty sure. Uh, yeah, anyways, I wonder if he has a letterbox. Uh, I don't know. I, I feel like he's he's not that kind of dude. Uh, just includes thanks, know. creeps, and best wishes to Frank on his big third appearance on the show. Woo. Thank you. 
I have an actual answer for you. Does art house count as a genre? Yes. (laughs) That's what I don't like, then. Perfect. Art. Nice. All right. Finally. Only only three this week. (gasps) Jackson. With an email entitled, New Waves and No Ways. Hey, creeps. Just wanted to say that I've been following by example and have abstained from ratings on Letterboxd, and it is pretty great <gasps> so far, I've noticed. Whoa. Speaking of Godard this week, are there any praise directors that you guys just can't get into? <laughs> mm. uh, how much time do you got, man? Uh, <laughs> uh, Jarrett's number one would be Denis Villeneuve. Ah, then wow. He, he, started uh, out, he started out well, and then I lost interest in the trajectory of his career. Oh, mm-hmm. God, there's so many. It's like, <laughs> there's like, <laughs> just, where, where do you just make... rattle off a couple? Fuck, I don't know. It's more of a response. Like, I have to think of a movie and go, oh, yeah, I don't like anything that that guy's done. Or lady, even though we all know, as uh, Rupa pointed out, women are underrepresented in the director's seat. Well, it's not your fault, Jarrett. <laughs> Isn't it though? No. Um, I don't know. Directors, I do not get. Uh, Godard. M. Night. M. Night. Yeah. And well, I think most people are like together on the fact that M. Night's not good. Yeah. Like, yeah. I think he's like kind of like, I don't know if there's like guys that I'm thinking of, like even in the Criterion Collection where I was like, hmm, yeah, I don't know about this, this hombre, but um, I don't know. <laughs> I don't, Hot take you, Zack Snyder. Oh, yeah. I don't, but like the people who are into him seem to be contrarians. I don't think they're actually like, you You can't be really into his movies. I think it's pretty tough. But there's the people who like set these expectations of like, well, this is why he's good. And you're like, oh, oh, uh, no. Robert Rodriguez would be one of those guys. But I don't think people actually really mm. like him either. I think I, I had think a recent one. I think you guys oh, are forgetting that M. Night made signs. And uh, Zack Snyder made uh, BVS, the uh, one of the <laughs> finest films, of fine films. Yeah, some real yeah. meathead cinema right there. Huh? Huh? <laughs> Lars von Trier sometimes, but I've only seen a few. Hey, you, I have one for you, Jarrett. Mm. Criterion alum, David Gordon Green. Yeah, yeah, he'd be in there I for mean, me. Basically, yeah, he'd be there for me because I haven't okay, seen anything yeah. of his that's really like where people go, oh, David Gordon Green. That's just like, nah. Some people do, though. Some people, you know, I think, go to bat for that dude. Yeah. Well, I, it's hard because, like, one... I don't really own a lot of movies by these people. So I can't just, like, turn my head and go, <laughs> this guy, because I, I don't buy shitty people's movies. Just look at your bad ratings on Letterboxd. I have one, <sighs> one director you shouldn't buy from, probably, unless you already have some from his it's a uh, hong sang su is korean korean director okay i started like, it was so weird i found a, a poster of one of his movies uh on the beach at night alone and i don't know why i really like i really really liked it and i hadn't i didn't have a letterbox at the time i didn't have anything but i remembered the poster mm-hmm. so when i finally got letterbox i started looking for it and it wasn't until recently that i found it again and then I added some other movies, and I found out they were on the Criterion channel. Okay. So I watched, I think I've seen three. I think. But yeah, I don't think any of them are like five-star affairs. <laughs> I would, you know, I, I, I would be, uh, Tony Scott is a guy that I think for mm. his, like the 16 movies he made, I don't really like very many of them at all. 
Ridley Scott, though, I mean, he's a guy, though, too. It's like, yeah, he's made these really big movies, but he's got a lot of bad movies. Like, a lot of, like, totally skippable movies. Uh, and mm-hmm. c- considering how well-regarded Ridley Scott is, that's, uh, I don't know. You, you have to overlook a lot of his stuff. He, where There's other directors, you're like, yeah, their batting averages are a little bit better. Uh, any any other thoughts, RJ? Who are you, are you, any scoops? What about Peter Berg? I don't care. I don't. Does anyone actually care about Peter Berg? <laughs> People fucking eat up Peter Berg, man. But when like, they see Mark Wahlberg in Patriots Day, when they see Mark Wahlberg in Moan Survivor, when they see Mark Wahlberg in Deepwater Horizon, they're eating up Peter Berg's shit. How about uh, although I I do like Friday Night Lights. So. How, how how about uh, Steven Soderbergh? Yeah, that's oh. a good one, actually. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. I think, like, I mean, there's some stuff of his I like, yeah. but I think on the whole, it's yeah. like, I, I haven't even, I haven't even seen that many, just from turned off. <laughs> well, we'll be, we'll be watching one of his movies very soon, Schizopolis. I was looking at, what's it, uh, yeah. Sam Mendes? Oh. He's a friend of Jarrett's. Even, even Dario, Dario Argento. Yeah. Because he's got Suspiria, and then, you know, every once in a while, like, you'll find one you like, but... His earlier career is uh, a lot stronger than the second half, and there's, like, in his first half, is like, there's some overrated stuff in there. That Oh, that would have been a nice answer to the downhill uh, question from, oh. was it from last week? Yeah. <laughs> that would have been perfect for, like, a well, director yeah. gone downhill. Yeah, for a director, yeah. Mm, boy, I'm just looking over. There's so there's so many possibilities. I really, but especially for it's like one of the two and a half star directors. Those are the ones that mm-hmm. are uh, where you're like, oh, what's so special about this guy? Yeah, I don't know. I think we got a good uh, spitball on some uh, some real <laughs> piece of shit directors. Yeah, pieces. You know what of I mean? Pieces here? of shit. Oh, well. <laughs> additionally, have there been uh, any films that you've wanted to watch but for some reason can't? No home video format, lost to time, etc. Um, I feel like this is outside of the wheelhouse of RJ Baylog. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I did want to go see that Pikachu movie at the theater, but that never okay. happened. So there is this one uh, that I have no idea how I could watch this. It's called. It's like a. It's a 1981 American film. It's like a small movie from New York. It's called like Atropopos, which I guess is. That doesn't sound Spanish real. for like kind of like buried or something like that. Anyway, like this, I've read this description of this movie and it sounds awesome, but like it is not available anywhere. No idea how people even see this. I've looked in all the, the secret crevices of the internet and uh, I cannot find a copy of this. A Trapapos, which is not this, but there was a movie called Buried Alive that came out like a year or so later that it, this movie is not. Hmm. But yeah, that would be one that comes to mind. Uh, there's this other one called The Farmer that uh, the studio Code Red has in rights, but like they can't release it because they don't have permission. So there's like things like that. There's stuff that exists out there, but I'd say like on the whole, things are getting better and better. It's actually more movies that come along that you've never heard of that are getting released on Blu-ray. There's like the one uh, starring uh, RJ's favorite actor of all time, Bill mm-hmm. Paxton, that just got uh, released called oh. Taking Tiger Mountain. <laughs> Uh, that Vinegar Syndrome just put out that I'm like, oh, I'd never even heard of that thing, but I'm interested. I'm interested, so. You're the only one. I am, well, I'm sure it's so okay. <laughs> People don't like Bill Paxton, Jarrett. Any, uh, I can say that with definity. Got any uh, movies that you cannot find, Frank? 
I was looking at this Greek director, and he has one called Eternity in a Day. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've you've probably heard of it. Maybe. And Landscape in the Mist. I don't know. I just found him out of nowhere, out of the blue. Yeah. And uh, I I put his stuff in my watch list, but I start looking. There's no American releases of like on DVD or anything. Right. So that I haven't looked online to see if somebody's like uploaded it somewhere, but. That's one that looks like I'm not going to find. Oh, Costa Rican movies. I can't find them anywhere. Nothing mm. from my home country. <laughs> yeah. Hey, G- hey, Jarrett. Hey, Jarrett. What, what, what's that, RJ? Oh. I, I, have two, I have two movies that uh, I, I've been trying to find for years. For years? I think, I think you even tried to find one of them, and we couldn't do it. What's so that, I'm RJ? going in. I'm going in. Oh. My creep works here. One in them. A year ago. Skype's killing your gimmick. Again? Continue. <laughs> okay, so Alien Lean was one. Here's a real one, though. Scream Queen Hot Tub Party by Fred Olin Ray and yeah, Jim Winorski. Yeah, yeah, I, I, yeah, that's findable. Well, I, I can't find it. <laughs> yeah, I You know what I, I thought you were going to say? What? The masterpiece that is Cape. Well, no, he's got that two, yeah. we can't find anywhere. That would be, be number true. two. That would be number two. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Fa- fascinating. <laughs> oh, poor RJ. Our RJ is going to be left behind on this episode. Ah, people need my hot opinions. It's or- funny because it only works once you stop saying what you're saying. <laughs> as, as soon as you're done, like saying what you were trying to say, it brings you back. Okay. Well, from now on, I will just talk like this. Really entertaining podcasting. Mm. That's <laughs> okay. Same as usual. Yep. Well, keep up the magnificent work, Jackson. Thanks, Jackson. Thanks, all emails. Mm-hmm. It's, the, it's probably the best when RJ can't talk. Yep. <laughs> hey, RJ. Uh, yes. What you been creeping on this week? Well, I'd like to tell you, Jared, but I don't know if you if you'll be able to hear about it or not. I can hear about it right now. You can hear about it right now? Yeah. Well, I watched a few movies, Jared. Nothing, like, real heavy. Uh, I was going to tell you, though, I uh, I watched an episode of that Doom Patrol show oh, yeah. that everyone's so hot on. Uh, it, it was pretty good. I think you would maybe like it, except for uh, there's some questionable CGI in it. Mm. But otherwise, uh, it actually has pretty nice production uh, and sets. And uh, speaking of actors who uh, disappeared, Brendan oh, Fraser. Uh-huh. But uh, we read uh, we read up on his story, and it sounds pretty sad. Yeah. You know what happened to Brendan Fraser? Uh, I kind of know there was something like pretty shitty, but uh, it's, enlighten it's two me. Things. Yeah. Well, well, so some like uh, some guy who ran like the Golden Globes or the Emmys like reached a, through his butt crack and like grabbed his junk yeah uh and and then like after he said something he got blackballed from like all of those things but then on top of that he had he had two big life things where his he got divorced and then his mom died and then he started to get like depressed and then he had to go get a bunch of surgeries because he was doing his own stunts in like a lot of his earlier movies, and then it really fucked up his spine. Like in so C- he was in the C- hospital. Encino Man. Yeah, like Encino Man yeah. and uh, Blast from the Past. All the stunts in that movie. The, the Mummy. Yeah, so he like fucked George up his spine. George of the spine. Jungle. George of the Jungle. Yeah, he's ripped in that fucking movie too. And 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 now he's a fat fuck. Is all I ever hear. 
And I'm like, yeah, oh, but it's not his fault. All this, He's all been in the body, hospital all, for like four I years. I, I always try to mention this to people, saying, yeah, it's like it's it's not it's not his fault. He's a mess. Yeah. So uh, yeah, that's another. We're, we can make a side list of actors that, unfortunately, through uh, things that are out of their control, have not been able to act for a long time. Yeah. Anyways, I watched some movies, Jared. Jared, you ever heard of Holy Mountain? Uh, I'm aware of Holy yeah. Mountain. Frank, have you ever heard of Holy Mountain? No, I have no idea. You have no idea? Well, let me hit you guys <laughs> with some hot shit right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, Holy Mountain by Alejandro Jodorowsky. That is the correct pronunciation. I, was, I, just, want, I, just, want to, I just want to throw out there that this would be a movie that I'd be like, RJ, I don't think you'd like this movie at all. <laughs> well, Jared, actually, when I borrowed this movie from you, your exact words were, RJ, I don't think you're going to like this movie. <laughs> and I said, shut up, you ignorant loser. Just give me your stuff. So there's a few reasons why I think this fits into uh, the current days. Um, I'm reading Dune right now. Yeah. So uh, I was like, man. All right. So we got Denny Villeneuve's Dune coming out. I'm going to watch that David Lynch's Dune, but then maybe I'll even watch that Jodorowsky's Dune. And I was like, well, if I'm watching Jodorowsky's Dune, I remember the first time I watched it, I'd never seen any of his movies. And so when they were showing clips, I was like, man, that stuff looks awesome. But I've never seen any of them. So I was like, it's a good time to just double down and all that. I only got Holy Mountain. Nope. Hey. Would you care to repeat that? How far did I get? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> oh. Man, there's okay. no saying. There, well, the, continue. Okay. So this is wow. a movie that is. Should Frank talk while I try to find a, a different chord or something? I don't know. <laughs> How can we help you? I don't know. I don't know what happened. <laughs> yeah, we, we caught nothing that you said about the Holy Mountain. Where where did I end off? I remember David Lynch's Dune. <laughs> I was Around talking there. for like five minutes. <laughs> um, I don't know, Jared. What do you think I should do? I don't know. Try again. Okay. So can you guys hear me now? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So there's that Danny Villeneuve Dune, and then there's David Lynch's Dune. So I was like, well, I better watch Jodorowsky's Dune. And uh, But the last time I watched that, there were all those scenes in his movies that looked really cool. But I've never seen any of them. So I was like, all right, well, I'm reading Dune now. Maybe I better watch those Jodorowskis. Um, Jared did, when he lent me all of them, he was like, Holy Mountain is probably the one you'll like least. And I was like, well, that's okay. I think it looks cool. Uh, I will say, Jared, that I do think Holy Mountain definitely looks cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think Jodorowsky has like really wild and unique uh, like imagery, and like he's got a really cool. Um, he has he has he has interesting ideas, and you can see that in like everything that he does, the way he kind of lets things unfold, and then the plot like. I, I don't know if you could even call it a plot, but like the way that the story goes and then all of the set pieces and all the imagery, uh, it's great. 
Uh, it sounds like you're about uh, to break up like with. Comic- it feels like you're about to break up with Jodorowsky here. Uh, or like complimenting it, it's, him first. It's like, yeah, hey, look, you're you're a beautiful girl, and uh, you're, you're a beautiful. You, you have a girl. lot of great person. You have a lot of really great personality. You you you're going to do be someone's like really important person one of these days. But uh, <laughs> but well, it's funny you say that, Jerk, because my next point was going to be I can see why a lot of people would really like Holy Mountain. I can see why Holy Mountain is that movie for many people, uh, but it's not that movie for me. Um, I found this, I found Holy Mountain really challenging to watch at times, uh, for my, first of all, my own irrational hangups on, uh, animal cruelty. Um, you get flayed dog crucifixes, you're getting, like, sheeps and donkeys that, like, I don't know, like, they're dead for sure. I don't know if they killed them or who did, but uh, there's also a pretty egregious uh, lizard and frog uh, scene where um, they're just blowing up those oh, yeah. those guys for sh- like for 100, real. Oh yeah, without not, I, no, no RJ exaggeration on that front, they are blowing yeah. up lizards. Yeah, a hundred percent. Which I was kind of bummed out about too because they were dressed up like conquistadors uh, yeah. and like Mayans, and I was like, oh, that's so cute. But then they started <laughs> blowing up, and I was like. Why? <laughs> Why do you do these things? Um, and there's, it's pretty fla- uh, fragrant, fragrant throughout. <laughs> I'm going to start using that word instead. It's pretty fragrant uh, yeah. throughout the film. Uh, you have one of the crippled Avengers in this thing, so that was uh, my uh, little callback. This guy mm-hmm. could be. He does some pretty cool stuff in this. Uh, you have a lot of uh, Christian imagery. Um, there's some really cool stuff like. When uh, your main boy, JC, gets cloned, uh, he gets, like, drunk, kidnapped by those weird priests. And they, like, make all those plaster uh, uh, duplicates of him. That's really cool. And then they, like, dump him on this pile of potatoes. And it's just, that's like this movie in general where it's people getting dumped on piles of potatoes. And then waking (laughs) up in rooms surrounded by themselves. Uh, You also get... uh, Tons, and I'm not exaggerating, Jared. Tons of excessive butthole cleaning in this movie. Like it's a full-on, I think, 15 seconds that you're watching this guy's butthole being cleaned. Hmm. And hey, I'm all for it. I'm all for cleanliness. <laughs> Go ahead. Uh, you also get artists that are just um, pressing their butts on paint and then onto uh, the canvases. I know that's what your art style is like, also, well, Jared. That's what our art department that I work for is style is like. Yeah, bot paintings, right? Yeah. yeah. And to be fair, like, if I was going to make art, that's probably what I would do. Uh, and there was some stuff that I actually thought was really funny. Like, I did like the the war manufacturing, like, alien god, whatever those things are. And um, the one who, like, made uh, religious weapons. And it was, like, the the Jesus crucifix, uh, crucifix pistol. I don't know why I thought that was funny. Uh, but then you have the guy who has, like, the 40 foot long or like the enormous gun. I thought that was pretty funny too. But uh, I think altogether, this thing is just way too artsy for me uh, to the point where some of the stuff that was going on, I was just like, I was like, who is this for? <laughs> I really don't. I really don't know. Like it's like, it's like an eccentric artist who would have had a, an exhibit and you would walk through and you'd be like, yeah, I like some of this stuff, but some of this shit is just fucking wild. Uh, but then he made a move. 
but it's a movie and not an art exhibit. So Holy Mountain is interesting. Uh, I do like a lot of the imagery and I think it's cool, but uh, it's it's definitely not um, something I would uh, tell other people to go out and watch unless someone was like, hey, do you got a movie where a guy's ass is just getting cleaned and cleaned? And I'd be like, fuck, do I have <laughs> a movie? What's funny is you? that somebody might ask you that probably. They might ask you. <laughs> they might everybody. ask me specifically. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Frank, do you have uh, any thoughts on a holy mountain, or I, I don't really care oh, what Jared? <laughs> well, I uh, I have a confession to make to to Jared and the rest of the fans. Listen, <gasps> I too watched Holy Mountain for the first time this mm. week. Ooh, baby! Oh yeah, nice. And, and hot Better take. How how did you get take. how did you get my copy? <laughs> <laughs> I emailed it to him. Ah, that's cool. Hot take. I have the same exact opinion as uh, RJ. What? You guys are fans of animals being blown up and dead no. dogs? <laughs> and the thing is, RJ said that it wasn't until they started blowing up that he saw a problem. I saw a problem with them wearing outfits. Animals yeah. aren't meant to wear outfits. Oh They're not conquistadors and 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 tribesmen. Are you sure? They're, they're yeah. animals. Are you sure? Yeah. I, you know, you, every once in a while you watch something and you go and you research a few things here and there. <laughs> And I was reading, and, and Jodorowsky had made a, a a comment. He was complaining about how difficult, the most difficult thing that they did was work with those animals. So when something is difficult no shit. and somebody can be impatient towards something that's difficult, they tend to mistreat things, right? <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it wasn't, I think everything up until that point was fine for me. I wasn't like I was enjoying what was going on. Isn't, I was isn't that like a, that's the first like within fifteen minutes or something too, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah pretty much. Yeah, it's right off the uh, bat, kind of. And you're like, whoa! And I think the first time uh, I was watching that movie some years ago, being like, holy shit! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's like that's not even like that one's pretty bad because you see him get blown up, but like it is throughout the entire film like there's those crucified skin dogs there is um like i can't remember like right at the end they they kill that sheep and the thing is like i know people are probably like yeah that wasn't real though it's like no i'm pretty sure that those are real dead animals that they had throughout this whole movie like they, they, might, have really the, they, like they, they might have gotten from the butcher shop though too yeah that's yeah. what i heard about the dogs <laughs> and they gave them back right after Oh, <laughs> even even gave more right after. more horrible. Yeah. Well, so oh. just think about all the meat you eat that like probably was like at a film shoot earlier, and then people maybe <laughs> ro- rolling around in raw meat Jared, and being like, "I'm, I'm done." And then you return to the butcher. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm done with this now. Or, oh, okay. And then RJ walks in. This, right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, put some water. Yeah, put some water in it. Wash your meat. <laughs> do you not wash your meat, Jarrett, before uh, you eat it? I do not. Oh, you don't even boil it in some milk first? No, not not my uh, milk, milk steaks. Man, don't even got... put some uh, hand sanitizer on mm-hmm. it. Well, <laughs> bad dude. I am. So wh- I'm shocked. Shocked, I say, that you both you... watch Holy Mountain <laughs> and also <laughs> neither of you liked it that much because it well, is uh yeah like rj said there's things that you do like i did like some st- you know the the alchemist stuff when he was entering the alchemist lair all yep. of that yep. was of course amazing but then after that point when once you start getting into like the different uh 
people, you know, at the round table and everything, all of their little backstories and stuff. Yeah, it starts to, like, the pacing, I think, for me was was the biggest issue. It just felt way, way too long. And it was mm-hmm. only two hours, you know? So here's the- only two hours. So here's, yeah. So here's the thing, too, um, that I was thinking about when it comes to, like, watching movies, like, watching Band of Outsiders today and, like, watching something like Holy Mountain is that experience of, like, imagining watching it on a big screen and, like, how much different it would be to be, like, totally immersed in and watching this, like, 60 feet wide yeah. rather than, like, on a TV. Um, and I was, like, I often think that, like, yeah, that almost always, like, improves a movie. Probably, like, especially if it's like an older movie, new movies, mm-hmm. you, you don't need to worry. You're like, whatever. It's like, it's it's Lady Bird. There's a guy in the back of the theater getting a blowjob, um, or uh, <laughs> or uh, Godzilla, King of the King of the Monsters. You're like, yeah, these are like uh, spectacle movies. But like, imagine watching like Holy Mountain in a theater in like 1975, uh, or watching, I don't know. Uh, Band of Outsiders in 1965 in the theater, like just how much of a different experience that would be. Yeah, I wasn't alive until 99, so I, I can't go well, that far back. Yeah, I mean, like, <laughs> I, I mean, either of those movies, I can't go back either. It's, it's, it's too bad. I'm, I'm going back right now. I, I frequently go back. <laughs> that, that, I don't know what that, your guys' That, that explains is. your excellent audio tonight. Yeah, I mean, I'm always time traveling. RJ, what else did you watch? Well, Jared, it's funny that you mentioned that. So uh, I knew that a friend of the show, Frank Solano, was coming on the show. And I was like, you know what? I'm pretty sure his favorite director is Wong Kar Wai. Uh-huh. Uh, but I, I've i never seen any of his movies except for that uh, the first time Frank came on. And I watched that uh, little trilogy of films. Right. So uh, I was like, you know what? I'm going to watch one. But uh, I was trying to be particular I was like, I should find one that isn't actually in the Criterion Collection. Because right. you know I don't watch Criterion movies outside mm-hmm. of the podcast. Like a winner. Uh, like a winner, yep. Uh, but I did find uh, that on the Criterion channel, they had a couple of his films that aren't in the collection yet. So uh, they're free game. Ooh. So I watched a movie, Jarrett, called Happy Together. You ever heard of this thing? I've heard of it. I've heard that title. I've read that title. I've mm-hmm. never seen it, though. Uh, well, it's on the Criterion channel, if you're interested. Uh, it came out in the ni- like late 90s, uh, and it is a romance, mm. I would say. <laughs> it's, a, it's a breakup film, Jarrett, uh, okay. about uh, two guys who move from... They're like... They have kind of a toxic relationship, uh, and they they break up and they get back together and break up and get back together, uh, and then they kind of have this idea. And there's a few more things involved in it too, but they're like, let's let's start over. Uh, so they they move to Argentina. They go to Buenos Aires, and they kind of start over their relationship there. Uh, but it's the same kind of same beats that they've had, and uh, I think watching it, you can see like a lot of very Gra- like relatable relationship things like the the things that they fight about kind of um so they fight frequently and then they break up and then they're both in buenos aires and then they kind of cross each other's paths and uh do they get back together do they not uh they do get back together for a while um and then you get like what i could only call uh it, it's got to be a prequel or i mean i think hollywood decided to remake it but drastically change it have you have either of you guys seen the the breakup um 
it's either the breakup or the dilemma with uh, Vince Vaughn and Jennifer Aniston. <laughs> have you guys have you seen that, Jarrett? No, because I'm not dating Andrea. Uh, I'll have you know, Jarrett, <laughs> that I watched the breakup from 2006 uh, on my own okay. without Ann. Okay. 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 From Peyton Reed, director of Bring It On. Uh, so anyways, yeah, The Breakup, it's basically a remake of uh, Happy Together because a good chunk of this movie is these two guys living in an apartment together, but they're they're not dating anymore, like not really, but they're living together and then they're kind of dating, and, but they're also fighting with each other. Does that make sense, Jarrett? Am I painting you a good picture, Jarrett? Sure. Sure? <laughs> okay, so uh, I think that's... Uh, more or less happy together um it's good it's it's really good it's it's a pretty sad movie it's i think if like in the mood for love is more about i think people who want to be together but are more or less pulled apart uh i think happy together is more of a movie where it's like people who shouldn't be together but for one reason or another can't like get away from each other and I, I feel like that's pretty relatable to a lot of people where people, not me or you, you two, because we would never want to implicate ourselves. But there's a lot of people who are like in relationships that I feel like are in them for the wrong reasons or that they want to leave, but then can't because I don't know, maybe they're scared. But uh, what you end up with is like a, this bad thing. Not like Sid and Nancy, Jarrett. Mm-hmm. Not it's not quite like that. Uh, it's a lot more believable. Um, no, it's good. Uh, there's a lot of really uh, nice film craft at work in this thing. I think where Wong uh, Kar Wai really kind of flexes, where he kind of bounces between black and white, and then the the way he films stuff. Like I think the opening to this movie is really nice, where it's a lot of like mirror images, or it's kind of like off center focus uh for like what he's kind of looking at uh it's cool it's a good show i liked it do uh so jared i know you didn't uh you said you've never seen this but uh, i don't know frank have you ever uh, heard of happy together so i have another confession to make <gasps> i also watched happy together oh, this very week God. nice it's almost like we planned it almost you know? God, <laughs> i think we're just we're we're so premier we're so next level <laughs> yeah. that we're thinking about getting arby's we're watching yodorowski movies we're watching Wong Kar way movies we're just we're doing the things jared only dreams about <laughs> is i think how you could describe like, it like real no. real pals yeah, <laughs> real pals. oh yeah so uh what was your uh, take on uh th- was this a first time watch for you or had have you seen it before no, this is, I think, my third watch. Yeah, Damn. I'll say my third watch. Um, So what can I say? I think I found one car Y around March of last year. And I began with In the Mood for Love. And, you know, gradually you started looking for his other stuff. When I found Filmstruck in August of 2018... I found, you know, uh, one car wise movies on there because Filmstruck also had Happy Together and Fallen Angels. And I started with Fallen Angels and then I watched Happy Together. I want to say that would have been 
probably in August or September of 2018. So I watched that for the first time then. Yeah, I was I was amazed. <laughs> yeah. Because, I mean, like, you, you really put it everything like, uh, you said it pretty well. You said it all pretty well. The, the first 15 minutes, 20 minutes, I think, are all black and white. And it's the idea of, of mm-hmm. them starting over, which uh, prompts like the color to come in later on. Uh, I don't know if you had noticed that. Cause, uh, so there's, there's this, I don't want to say too much, Jared hasn't seen it. Go for it. I, Something... I won't remember. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. So basically, the one who's hurt the most out of the relationship is uh, Tony Lung's character. You know, Tony Lung being Wong Kar Wai's muse, and then uh, Leslie Chung from Days of Being Wild plays his lover, his on and off again lover. And so the one who always leaves is Leslie Chung, and he's the one basically breaking Tony every time he leaves. Um, something happens to Leslie that forces him to to have to stay there with him, mm-hmm. with uh, with. No, something happened to Leslie. Did I say that or did I say Tony? <laughs> uh, I I didn't even try to say their names because I knew I would like even watching the movie. They said their names and I kind of just glanced over it. I was like, I know which which both of them look like, and it's usually one talking <laughs> to the other. So yeah, that's why I'm going with the actors' names. So something happens to Leslie, and he's forced yeah. to stay with Tony for a while, and so. It's kind of like it goes through, you know, uh, the motions of their relationship. Like uh, when it cuts from black and white, it's that. It's whenever Leslie's the one who always tells him, let's start over. Because he's the one that's messed up. He's the one that's hurt, Tony. And so he says, let's start over. So when he says, let's start over after uh, after the, the, I'll say, accident that happened to him, it cuts to color. Mm-hmm. And from then, I think the rest of the movie is in color. But uh, so they're they're basically forced to live together, and Tony doesn't want to get back with Leslie. Leslie is pretty. How would you say? Mm, she's pretty flirtatious, I guess. So he's like Real kind of forcing Jerry. himself on, <laughs> forcing himself on Tony, putting him in bad situations, and. Yeah, it's just like like uh, RJ put it. It's a very toxic relationship, and mostly for for Tony, mm-hmm. for Tony's character. And yeah, of course, it's it's Chris Doyle, so you can't go wrong with the cinematography. And it's it's Tony Lung, and it's Leslie Chung, and it's Wong Kar Wai, so you can't go wrong with any of it, really. Mm-hmm. Um, I think what floored me though when I first watched it is that, you know, you kind of imagine that most of these movies that that touch on topics of. Uh, of, of gay relationships are, are more common now, especially since, uh, you know, America's views have changed so much. But in America, you know, in other yeah. countries, they've been down with it for a while, I imagine, you know, can't speak for some, every some have and some aren't. But yeah, yeah, I know what you're yes. saying. <laughs> so from what I understand, part of the reason that uh, that Juan Carway took it to Argentina was because it's it wasn't so cool in China at the time, maybe. Um, uh, I don't. I don't know if it is even now. Yeah, <laughs> I, I can't speak for the entire country, but uh, I don't know. When I was there, it didn't seem like it, but that was ten <laughs> years ago. 
yeah, I, I'd imagine that. I don't know. I don't know how homosexuality <laughs> does in like totalitarian governments. Anyways, yeah. So they took it to Argentina, and uh, part of the like the other reason being that I think Juan Carway wanted to do something kind of revolving around the. Um, I think it was called the Takeover. It was an event that happened in '97 in, in Hong Kong and other parts of China. I think they integrated into mainland China. Yeah. Oh, RJ's gone. That's fine. <laughs> And so, something else, like, you know, what we talked about kind of with uh, In the Mood for Love and, and his other films is that he's very, like, oh, on the spot. Oh, quiet stuff to say about that. Uh-oh. Can you hear <laughs> you me? Go yes. ahead. I'm not yeah, talking. we hear you now. Oh, I wasn't even talking. <laughs> <laughs> what were you going to say? Well, I was going to talk about Hong Kong. Uh, it was given back to China from uh, the British rule. Yeah. That's what it was. Given That's, okay. Yeah. That's all I. So, that, that's my hot info. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Wong Kar Wai wanted to do something with that. I don't know how well it applies to the movie, other than people coming back together and stuff. Um, but you know, he's so he's very on the spot. And from what I've read, Tony Lung had no idea what his character was or what the story was. He gets shipped to Argentina and finds out he's all of a sudden in a in a gay relationship heartbreak film. <laughs> but like and the first uh, scene they film is a sex scene. Nice. <laughs> so uh, yeah, <laughs> very on the spot. And I watched part of the reason I, I kind of know all this stuff is a while back, also on the Criterion Channel. So if uh, if RJ wants to check it out, they have the documentary of the making of the movie. Mm-hmm. Most of it is just alternate stuff that they shot and alternate scenes and different plot like subplots that they could have gone with. Because uh, one Carway shoots everything. And then figures it all out after the fact. Um, and so you really like get to see how he started off with, I think, one character or two characters as an idea. One, one or two characters and then a dance scene, which I'm pretty sure is one of the most memorable scenes from the movie. RJ will probably uh, remember it. I hope. Yeah, it was good dancing. It was almost as good as when Jared goes out to uh, town to bust his moves. <laughs> almost. Is there a dancing in capes? No. Good question. There is not. <sighs> that was a missed opportunity, Jared. <laughs> I, I hate dancing. No. I'm like Why? a do- I'm like a dog. Dogs what hate don't dancing. you hate? What don't you hate? <laughs> Dogs hate <laughs> dancing. Uh, World War II dad movies. I don't hate those. Mm. I don't think Wong Kar Wai's made any of those. Yeah. See, that's why, that's why he's only Wong Kar Wai. <laughs> but yeah, so I don't have I don't have much to say about how I feel about it because I'm pretty biased. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of why I was just giving you know facts and not real uh, subjective uh, material on what I think. <laughs> I think it's great. So do you, do you, uh, do you have any other secret movies that you watch together? Uh, that's it for me. But uh, I don't know. I, I I don't know. Frank could probably watch his own movies. <laughs> okay. That's yeah. I, I got. <laughs> I did go on a, a little. Uh, I found I found some time and I watched a few. Yeah. Okay. So 
since we're talking about Chinese filmmakers, I watched Hao Xiao Sen's Millennium Mambo from mm-hmm. 2001, I believe. I I don't think you guys have ever logged any of Hao Xiao Sen's no, films. No, never. Yeah. No. So I think I've I've stated it through my emails. I I like slow burn movies, which is weird because I complain about Holy Mountain taking forever. Mm. Different. But I don't. Yeah, it's. There's a certain like slowness to to uh, Hao Xiao Sen's films, and a lot of a lot of Chinese uh, cinema. Uh, Tsai Ming Liang's films, even Wong Kar Wai, you know, has his uh, slower moments in films. But it's just the idea that you know you get to watch, you get to watch people and like just observe. It's just about observation, right? So Millennium Mambo, you're, what you're observing is this young woman, this young woman uh, played by Shu Qi. I hope I'm saying her name right. It、um, doesn't matter on this podcast. <laughs> I forget. I forget every time I come on. Just, just say it, and then once you want, just say it with confidence, and then say that friend of the show Oliver Granger said that that's exactly how you pronounce it. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um. So Shuki plays a young woman who is kind of going through her own. It's kind of, it's kind of almost like a happy together. She's with this kind of loser boyfriend who. Does a lot of drugs and they don't have jobs. They just kind of、uh, they're just like paired up in this little apartment. And every night she goes out to party, she goes clubbing, she goes drinking. And like throughout the film, you get like these little monologues through narration. And you, it's like her character ten years、uh, from the present that's playing out in the movie. And so she's looking back on her on herself. Kind of talking about it in the third person, and so like you, you get to just observe her as she goes through her, you know, nightlife. She goes,、uh, she has a good time. She enjoys herself. She gets back home. She gets into arguments with her boyfriend、uh, over things like who she's been texting, who she's been calling, things like that. And you know, then she she leaves. She comes back. All these things play out. And the thing about It's almost the same thing with.、Uh, it's just, God, Chinese cinema. Like, when it comes to the cinematography, it's definitely what gives it the edge. Because I don't think any of these films where you're just sitting there observing would work as well if it wasn't for the cinematography. You know,、uh, just how they compose everything. And so, Hao Xiao Sen's cinematographer muse is Mark Li Pingbing. And so he's done a few films, and I've seen、uh, I've seen I think some of their work together, and it's just God like the colors. It's all neon lights, and it's all flashing strobes, and it's all like it, you get the sense of the of the party life, and you get the sense of like when you get home and like you see、uh, you know your 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 relationship just kind of crumbling underneath you. And so you just go out and party more, you know, all these、uh, little, like, like we said with Happy Together, it's very realistic, and you know that's、mm-hmm. the point.、Mm-hmm. So with Hao Xiao Sen's films, I think his earlier work has a lot more to do with,、uh, with like memory stuff, kind of like、uh, with Tarkovsky or even with Wong Kar Wai. It's mostly like brought back from his own past and applied to what you know he's making, whereas like in the two thousands. 
he started kind of uh, trying to observe, you know, like the the social climate of the time in in Taiwan. That's specifically where House Yao Sen's uh, films take place. Mm-hmm. And he has another one that followed this called uh, Three Times, and it kind of has like a few elements from some of his other films, including Millennium Mambo. Um, and you get the same actress, you get Shuki. And like, I think that one's a, what's it called when you have like several short films kind of compiled into one? Like an anthology? an anthology? Yeah, it's an anthology. So you get like three different uh, short films, all kind of similar to what he's made before and compiled together with like connected themes and stuff. And the thing about House Yao Sen is that he likes to talk, like his films have a lot of topics about social, the political climate of Taiwan, just everything that's going on. He can somehow like apply it into his film. And it's so strange. It's just like, it's it's so slow and meditative and you still get the message, you know? It's what people say about this podcast. <laughs> I think, uh, it's right? Slow and meditative. Mm. <laughs> mm. Yeah, I don't I don't know about telling others to watch it, especially here Athens is like it's dead when it comes to contemplative cinema, slow cinema. That's I think, I think, I think that's uni- I think that's pretty universal. I think a lot of places are, they're not <laughs> they're not true. down with that. But I mean if anybody's a fan of 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 Ozu or these other, you know, uh, slower pace guys, which I haven't even seen an Ozu film. I've just heard. Um, gotta, gotta stop gotta, rewatching movies, there. Frank. You gotta, gotta get on that <laughs> the new wave, you know. That's true. That's true. Watching those new we'll movies. See. I mean, but these help, right? These will get me into the mood for that. Yeah. So Millennium Mambo, yeah. mm-hmm. all star banger. You guys should try it if you like slow cinema. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we're do all, I <laughs> if you can stand slow cinema there we go that's better mm. nice <laughs> <laughs> and I watched one more that I want to talk about just a little okay. bit I think I went overboard with Millennium Mambo since we're trying to go under two hours yeah um, hit it that's the dream. <laughs> go on what's, what's your movie so yeah. I spoke about Almodovar I want to say it with like my Spanish accent but I don't know how you guys would like understand it. <laughs> you say it, and then I'll repeat it to you. Okay, okay. <laughs> You'll correct him. <laughs> yeah. Try it, try it. Let's see. Pedro Almodovar. Pedro Al- Almodovar. That was close enough. I'll give you it. <laughs> well, see, now I am not only uh, a world authority on Kiwi and uh, New Zealand accents, uh, I'm now um, also uh, in Frank's Athens, Georgia. Athens, Georgia, realm of accents. So, <laughs> Spanish speaking. Hey, uh, yeah, it's a global phenom. This uh, this accent podcast. So, Anyways, it, <laughs> I, I can't tell if like if I'm lagging or not. So, I, if I interrupt no, you guys, I'm I, not trying to be rude. I'm just I was I was you're honestly, just be yourself. Was, yeah. My mind was lagging because I was thinking about doing a country accent, but I decided not to. So, as a joke, you know. Oh. <laughs> so uh I'll, I'll go hey, with now this time. Cool. Cool. I didn't I didn't catch anything you said. That's there. fine. Ignore him. <laughs> <laughs> so Pedro Motivar. What I've seen is that um 
Oliver has seen a few of his. And I know, Jared, you've seen a few. I think, RJ, you only watch Skin I Live In, right? Mm-hmm. That I'm aware of. Oh, yeah, I know that, dude. Yeah, so I spoke earlier. He's the melodramatic guy. Mm. So sometimes his films are great. I watched a while back. Like, I've just only recently been looking into his stuff. I wanted more uh, Spanish-language films in my yep. in my little gallery there on, on Letterboxd. I wanted more Spanish-language films, so I looked into this Almodovar. And I started with his earliest film. I've kind of mostly been good at keeping it, like... Uh, on track on like how they were released i've skipped a few most of the ones that i that i bought were the ones with actors i recognized Mm. um but i started with women on the verge of a nervous breakdown from 88 and that's like a a a very hard recommend that one's amazing uh if you guys are fans of wes anderson and of uh trying to think who else like, it's just, like, a combination of color and, like, style. And then, like, uh, the dialogue is amazing. Well, at least for me. Because, I, I mean, I'm reading the subtitles and listening to the language at the same time. Yeah. So, it might work more for me than it will for uh, monolinguists, sadly. <laughs> but, uh, so, Woman on the Verge of a Nervous Breakdown is five-star all around. And I've seen a few of his other ones after that. But it wasn't until recently that I found another one that I liked almost as much as women and it's uh broken in braces with penelope cruz right and i think i messed up i was supposed to watch volver first i say volver it's actually volver uh which means to return Volver. <laughs> but uh so i kind of skipped forward i watched broken in braces and this is one i'd kind of seen when i was younger i'd seen clips of it and like without my parents' knowledge, because uh, I was just getting into film at the time. But I, I think it was a little too early for me to watch that kind of stuff, because uh, I did I didn't get it at all. And so as I was watching it, it was kind of like you know the distant memory of the scenes and like the images and stuff. It was all like coming back to me yeah. as uh, scene by scene. And this one's pretty melodramatic. It's a little like excessive in melodrama. But, like, it won me over hmm. as, like, time went on. So it started off kind of like, oh, this is this might be a little too much. But by the end, like, I was just willing to accept it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Whereas I know there was, uh, was it Talk to Her, which I think yeah. Jared's seen, right? I have, yeah. That was the yeah. first, that was the, I think that's, like, really the only other movie of his that I've seen. And that was, like, early on. Actually, I probably watched that when I was making the uh, Elusive Capes. Uh. <gasps> So elusive. <laughs> yeah, talk to her is a little difficult. I think it's a lot more melod. That one's pretty melodramatic, and it's not very accessible, like compared to his other ones. Like even I had a hard time watching it, and I kind of uh, have accepted his melodrama, which is why I like this uh, Broken Embraces so much. So I don't think it's something I'd recommend. It's kind of like. You get kind of flashbacks. You get this uh, blind uh, screenwriter who's trying to develop a script with the son of his uh, producer, I think she is, manager maybe. Anyways, uh, so they're kind of working on a little something. And then this guy from his past kind of comes in and starts like wreaking havoc on his home life. 
and so the the son of his manager kind of uh uh starts to question him about it and his the the guy's mom doesn't want them to speak about it but the screenwriter is just like okay i'm just gonna let you know what happened and it goes back to the 90s and you see how he's a director and he's fine he's not blind he um he finds this woman who he decides to cast as his like actress in his film and they begin to have a, a relationship. For her, it's extramarital because she's married to a, a kind of rich guy who helped her out when uh, when she was going through a difficult time with her family. Her father was in the hospital and they couldn't get him his surgery because the doctor went on, uh, went on vacation. And so her husband is pretty jealous. And he even decides to sign up as a producer so he can kind of be in control of what's going on. And so this guy, he decides to send his son to start recording a behind-the-scenes look of the movie. But in fact, he's trying to catch them in the act of their affair. And so you, you get all this playing out. And eventually, uh, they've shot the film. And it's kind of an homage to uh, women on the verge of a nervous breakdown. Like, uh, the film they're shooting is, is kind of that movie, just with uh, Penelope Cruz. And I think that might be part of the reason why I liked it so much. It had elements of the of uh, women in it. Um, anyways, long story short, things don't go well when uh, they decide to to run away because uh, the producer starts to get a little uh, too handsy with his wife, Jared style. <laughs> and while they're on their little getaway, uh, they're in a car crash. And she dies. And he gets blind. And the son manages to film it all. The son of the producer manages to see the crash. I think I'm telling too much of the story. <laughs> it's okay. I'm, Just not, I'm not good at this. Do what you feel, man. Um, anyway, so they, they kind of, after he's done telling the story, they kind of resolve a few things between each other, between the, uh, the manager and the screenwriter. And he kind of comes to terms with uh, what what possibly happened with the son of the producer, who he thought was part of the reason that uh, the accident happened. He thought he might have been the guy in the, in the other car that crashed into them. And while they were away on their little, uh, well, while they were escaping the producer, the producer decided to chop up his movie and release it like that. So they got bad reviews. Mm. Uh, and so he finds out that he, he, they still have all the reels, so he decides. The movie kind of concludes with them uh, deciding to put back the movie, and so you get like a final scene, just watching like uh, a little clip of the film that he made, which Aldemovar then took and made it into a short film. Aside, uh, so I might be watching that soon. But yeah, that's uh, the entire movie. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> yeah. You guys basically just watched it without watching it. Outstanding. <laughs> I feel, I'm sorry. I feel like I'm watching it now. I don't know if you know this, Frank, but uh, Pedro uh, Moldovar has uh, some pretty amazing hair. I don't know if you've seen yes. his letterbox, yeah. but you, if anyone welcome. out there it hasn't, you better check that shit out. Yeah. Welcome to Team Catch-Up there, RJ. <laughs> we all know about Pedro's great hair. What? When were you talking about that? Always. 
Whatever. Whatever, Jared. You don't even have hair. <laughs> Burn. <It> does. <laughs> I, have, I have a wonderful coif. A coif? Oh my god, he's quaffing it over there. Quaffing. You ever seen those bumpets, Frank? That uh, those you can buy on the internet and you can put them in your hair for ladies and make a bump it. Don't you remember? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't you remember bumpets, RJ, when they were running rampant? Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah, I'm talking about you and uh, you, you used to be able to a mold of ours bumpets. You could walk into a store and get a bumpet. I don't know if you can now. Maybe I'll walk you into a store and get you a bumpet. I'll get you a yoga mat. Is that <laughs> do they do they sell together? Uh, possibly. I don't know if they do oh. anymore. Well, okay. Well then, you two <laughs> nerds, I yeah. watch the movies too by myself. Oh, <laughs> sad, sad man. I watched a movie called Decline of Western Civilization, which is on the Criterion channel, directed <gasps> by a woman, Penelope Spheris. We all know her, right? Director right. of uh, Wayne's World? Yeah. Or no, what did she do? I don't know. She directed some movies. Good, some good qual- stuff. Some quality movies. Mm-hmm. This, I think, probably is her best movie. I mean, I, I mean, but maybe Black Sheep's better. I don't know. Uh, I well, I think Wayne's World, Little Rascals, Black Sheep, and Senseless, well, are probably better than whatever you're talking about. Well, I've only seen like five of these movies, and of them, I'd say it's the best. Second would be uh, The Boys Next mm-hmm. Door with Charlie Sheen. That movie's pretty. Good, and uh, yeah, I haven't seen Suburbia, which is also on the Criterion channel right now. But anyways, this mm-hmm. decline of Western civilization, it's a documentary uh, covering the Los Angeles punk scene of the late 70s. Um, That's cool. Yeah, and so, I mean, you're, I mean, I'm not a huge punk fan or anything like that. Um, mm-hmm. If I'm, like, in the mood, I will sit down and listen to a, a punk album, but... For the most part, like, I can't remember the last time I sat down and, like, listened to one straight through. Um, I'm a soft pop kind of man. I like my synth. Uh, <laughs> sounds that the punk does mm. not offer for the most part. But uh, this is a really good documentary. Really, like, you, you watch, like, the uh, the Netflix variety of documentaries that get made that all feel exactly the same. Uh, this probably feels like a documentary made in the late 70s but the editing is so good uh it has this kind of like really good like natural flow as far as like how each segment's kind of broken up each covering a different musical act uh and they just like they do a little bit of the concert they do interviews with them and then they're in and out and they move on to the next person some of them they spend a little bit more time with uh maybe they're just more they had more of an interesting like backstage life to document so they spent more time on that but uh, yeah, no, this like this is fantastic. Really, uh, lived up to the hype of uh, Western civilization because I've always heard that this is a really uh, well-regarded documentary, and just had never like sat down to watch it. And then finally, Friday night, I'm like, hey, I want to watch this damn thing, and it's on the Criterion Channel. So yeah, this is good. I don't know if I'll be watching parts two and three, which kind of get more into the uh, the mm. hair metal side of things. Part two look awesome it's just like part two sounds like it's heavy metal and then part three is punk again yeah so i think part three is probably skippable i don't know maybe it's the best one i don't know i have no idea yeah i've I've heard part two looks cool yeah have you ever seen that metal documentary Uh, uh, yeah metal a headbanger's journey no but uh i've seen the beverly hillbillies also directed by penelope Mm -hmm. spheris 
Frank, do you like metal music? Do you like punk music? Mm, I don't go out of like the boundaries of what was acceptable. So let's say Sex Pistols okay. and uh, yeah, Metallica. <laughs> sure, sure, sure. Mm. So I watched that, and then, boys, I went on a journey. I went on a one-man war with war movies. After watching Fury mm. the other week, um, I was like, you know, there's got to be other movies about tank warfare because that was like the best part of Fury. And mm-hmm. I, I've like not stopped thinking about the scenes in that movie that are specifically about like the tanks just like fucking blowing shit up, running people over. And I was like, that field, that field uh, tank battle. Yeah. <sighs> the open field, that one's great. Yeah, no, it's like those scenes are like really like st- I still think about like after a week. So I was like, I'm going to check out some movies on tanks. So I, uh, I was at the comic store talking to a man I know knows his old movies and World War Two stuff. And he mentioned Sahara with uh, Humphrey Bogart. And I went done. But it turned <laughs> out this was like less of a tank movie. And it's just like guys riding around in a tank in the desert. And it's more like uh, John Ford's <laughs> The Lost Patrol uh, during like the... Um, in the North African campaign with a, a stand-in for Rommel and this like, it's like a very cosmopolitan unit where it's like, Oh, it's the Americans who are helping assist the British in their fight. But then, uh, uh, Australians join up. Uh, and then they also come across an Italian soldier, uh, who, a what is soldier, an Italian. Oh my God. So, but he's like, I've got the wife and the kid. And so they're like, and they're like, but they're ready. Uh, Humphrey Bogart's prepared to let them die in the desert. And, he, and like, they finally go, okay, spaghetti. And they, like, they actually say that. And, and they let him come on the, on the tank with them. And then they come across a uh, German plane that starts shooting at them, which they managed to take down. And mm-hmm. uh, then they take that pilot uh, also a prisoner. Uh, but he's a he's a nasty Nazi, so you know uh, bad things are coming his way. But the whole movie is just like them trying to get out of the Sahara Desert because uh, there's no food, there's no water, and so they mm-hmm. they, have, they have a man uh, from the area who's like trying to bring him to watering holes, but they keep hitting bad luck until finally they hit one where they have like there's like a little drizzle of water that they can finally like get like some like buckets down there and get some water just to sate their thirst and figure out what they're going to do next. But then. Uh, a detachment of uh, German soldiers comes rolling up on them and they have to set up a plan and they have a big face off because the Germans think there's a lot of water there and they just like, yeah, it's a, it's a grinding death shot of, uh, yeah, just war people getting thirstier and thirstier and uh, getting picked off one by one. It's a good old time. It's okay. Like it's nothing to write home about. Um, I would never watch this again. Wouldn't buy it or anything like that, but I don't know. It's uh, it passed the time, but then I watched so n- oh. no tanks, one tank, just one tank, and <laughs> it, it, it doesn't really like it felt very much like the uh, like a set, like it didn't really feel like a real enclosed space. Not like so. A, what you're saying is a fury <laughs> is an all all time banger compared I, well, to this movie. Seems that, fair. <laughs> let me let me continue because yeah no that's kind of been the impression I've been getting is like man maybe Fury's better than I thought despite like the hokiness of uh, the non tank stuff but uh, then I watched this uh, American movie called The Beast of War from 1988 uh, so this movie covers the Afghanistan war that Russia was having uh, which was their Vietnam and so of course it's funny watching an American movie 
doing a story of being critical of the Russians being in a foreign country, which is like, huh, mm. well, they made the same mistake that we did. But then America goes and does the exact same thing and engages in a endless war in Afghanistan. Uh, so this is about... Hey, uh, hey Jarrett. Yo. Does this movie have any Italians talking about spaghetti? Well, they're like getting, the last movie? getting called spaghetti. No, this is a bunch of uh, Americans just talking American, but they're Russians. Mm. And the con- like Constantine and... Uh, uh, yeah. No spaghetti, no. though, hey? No, no spaghetti. Not as good? Not as good. Uh, no, this movie's, uh, good? this movie's quite a bit better. Uh, it, it's a It's a good, like, kind of like war thriller, I guess, where uh, four guys... Like, this movie is also fucking violent. Holy shit. I'd, like, Fury's violent, but it's almost like you get numb to it, whereas uh, it seems like Beast of War, they they really know how to frame the violence in a way that's like genuinely way more unsettling. So the movie opens up with uh, a serene Afghan village where it's just like early morning, people are just, you know, tending to the goats, getting water for the day, just, you know, farmers... And then the Russian uh, tanks roll in and just blow the shit out of this place. And then, of mm. course, uh, they're rolling through, and there's just, like, people blown up all over the place, crushed to death from uh, rocks and from shrapnel, just guts spilled. And, you know, oh, guess what? The villagers are a little miffed. They're a little uh, displeased. And then there's one that's got access to grenades. They happen to throw one grenade into a tank that doesn't see it coming. It kills everybody inside. Um, and so the, the surviving tank crew, they uh, execute the man by making him lay in front of the treads of their tank. And then they proceed to drive over him. <laughs> and like it, they they, they, they have to show it. Oh yeah, like I mean, not the full like driving over top of him, but they definitely nah. they're they're very creative. Where they have like the bit where like the tread is just driving over the feet, so you can see the feet kind of bending back as it like gets crushed. And you're like, oh, and then you see the aftermath, and there is a full on shot of the aftermath of just like hamburger on the f- ground. What kind of hamburger? Uh man beef. So Burger Man King. Beef. Yeah, like fresh, wow. from Bur- fresh from Burger King. Wasn't that your nickname in high school, Jared? Man Beef? Man Beef. <laughs> Man Beef. Was that your uh, wrestling nickname? <laughs> RJ's wrestling Yeah, the name. sexual one. No. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, that's like the very beginning of the movie, and then it becomes a... Uh, Watching the Afghans with the the Mahajmadin, the uh, the rebels, tracking down the getting this one group of Russians who've like found themselves in this valley that's like a dead end, but they don't know it yet. And you see them like kind of like this cat and mouse game. Uh, the Russians are constantly poisoning water behind them, uh, which is of course like a real dick move. But uh, that's war, baby. But yeah, this movie is like quite uh, quite good. Uh, I love I, I love these sort of like people in nature versus like man man versus nature uh to figure out my uh, character web if, like i was in a, a language arts class in junior high or something like that figuring out man versus nature man versus man um <laughs> but it's got all that stuff and it's like it reminded me of uh, how much i love the movie the edge which i plan on also uh watching yeah. again soon yeah yeah this movie is will... that the one with alec baldwin yeah yeah yeah, this movie's got Jason Patrick, who nobody really cares about. Mm. That's fine. But yeah, uh, no, this movie, uh, yeah, I, I, I would say a real recommend um, for just like if you like a, a good old kind of grim uh, action movie where it's like you don't really feel one way or another for a bit, but then the movie slowly gr- uh, wins you over with their motivations. 
I don't know. It's it's good. Mm-hmm. I like I dug this. I would watch it again someday. That's the highest praise oh. I can give something. <laughs> really? Yeah. Someday down yeah. the line. But yeah, I would say 10, 15, yeah. 20 years. Ah, yeah, maybe, maybe. So uh yeah, and then after this, I was like, you know what? Fuck man. I'm going in on this uh tank movies and war movies that I haven't mm-hmm. seen forever. So I watched Patton again because I hadn't seen that forever. I had that like brand spanking Blu-ray from like, God, several years ago that I never got around to watching. So I sat down and watched that. Um, I don't know if this movie's like this perfect masterpiece that some people would say it is. It's it has a very like kind of weird mm-hmm. tonal shift throughout it. But like there's like the one big like tank battle with uh, Rommel that happens in it is awesome. Uh, when you just think about the logistics of like pulling off tank battles like this, you're like, yeah, that's like a lot of risk and setup and planning and you have to do it safely. Yeah. But there's not enough of that. There's a lot of like character stuff with George C. Scott, who I think is like actually a pretty good actor who I like, but like watching it, this in like crisp HD Blu-ray, he looks like the makeup is kind of dodgy. Like he's supposed to be older than he is. So it looks a little off. It would probably be better done now. Um, uh, maybe sometimes old age makeup nowadays is horrendous, but, mm-hmm. but, uh, yeah, I mean, it captures the, the electricity of, uh, of world war two, all the excitement of that, uh, grueling thing. Um, and this kind of belongs to this, like the next two movies I watched, they're this, like the, the dad cinema, the fun of world war two before, like the horrors of Vietnam really sunk into the American psyche and we couldn't have fun with war anymore. Even though I don't know if we ever really had fun with war, but some of these movies sure make it seem like it was enter- more entertaining than like grizzly, like Kelly's heroes with, uh, my boy Clint Eastwood before he became the Clint Eastwood of today. Have either of you who? Clint Clint Eastwood of today. This is this is when he was like good old Clint Eastwood, fun Clint Eastwood. Mm-hmm. Uh, RJ, I know I've made you watch Kelly's Heroes. Uh, have you mm-hmm. seen Kelly's Heroes, Frank? No, I haven't. Oh man, this movie! What a, what a screenplay! It's 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 genuinely funny. It's got such a a, a cast: Telly Savalas, Donald Sutherland, Don Rickles. Oh, I can't say enough about this movie. It's so much mm-hmm. fun. Uh, the action's wicked. The music's awesome. It's just, it's like two and a half hours long, which I don't remember it being like that long when I would watch it. And it doesn't like seem that long watching it now. Um, yeah, it's just like, it's like a, it, it feels at times like almost like a mad magazine war comic, but it tells this whole, it tells this whole storyline of, uh, a bunch of gold that, uh, the SS have stored in a small town across enemy lines in France and a couple of military guys, a couple of, uh, the boys, they're like, hey, we got three days furlough. We got downtime. We're in the middle of nowhere. Let's go get that money. And so all these things kind of work themselves out. And uh, they're face-to-face with a bunch of tiger tanks in this small French town with their own American Shermans piloted by Oddball, played by Donald Sutherland. Uh, hmm. Talking about negative vibes. He's, he, there's like these anachronisms where uh, Donald Sutherland is playing a full-on hippie uh, in 1944. Um and it works. It's really good. I see some people like go, oh, the character's a little too ridiculous. And it's like, what the <laughs> fuck do you want? <laughs> I don't know. It's, 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 it's like supposed to be kind of a comedy. So I don't know. Kelly's Heroes, though, oh, it's been years since I've seen it. And watching it again, I'm like, oh, I love this movie so much. And then uh, final movie I'll talk about, The Dirty Dozen with Lee Marvin, Jim Brown, 
Charles Bronson, John Cassavetes, who am I for? Ernest Borgnine, George Kennedy. It's just, oh, this this movie. Um, you couldn't you couldn't actually name all dozen of these guys because there's some just like jobbers in there. But this movie is also absolutely awesome. It is total man cinema, dad wave movies, as I've uh, created my new uh, tag, which the consistent mm. factor on Letterboxd is when you look at these movies, they all have these like really great painted posters, which of course have not been transported to the Blu-rays of these movies because that would make sense. Instead, you get these like horrible fucking pieces of art on the Blu-rays. Makes me so mad. Mm. But I mean... Uh, I'm going to assume, Frank, you have not seen Dirty Dozen, as it wasn't. It's not. No, been, it's not. It's not directed by Wong Kar Wai. This is like a movie. You Somehow, could, this is a movie you could watch with your dad. Like you should be watching <laughs> Somehow, these movies with your papa. I managed to watch. Was it? I think the longest day, which also had like the big stellar cast from like yeah, the fifties and stuff. Longest day but, is just uh, meh. Yeah, that movie. Yeah, you, you, it's, you gotta, not no, it's not. It's nothing special. You you got to watch these uh, these things because they they'll get these the dirty dozen. Yeah, they'll make your blood will get redder. It'll put hair where there wasn't hair before. Um, yeah, these these movies It'd are. Flexing. Flex, I kind of yeah, fear flexing. being a patriot, honestly. I don't know if these movies make you a patriot though. <laughs> Like, like no. No, not at all. Like, well, so the Dirty Dozen story, what it is, is it's, um, do you know the story at all? I don't think so. Okay. No. So, uh, it turns out that, uh, maybe the director, like the writers of the Dirty Dozen traveled into the future, watched Suicide Squad and went, maybe we could yeah. do this better. <laughs> and, uh, so that's like, so the mm-hmm. idea is that, uh, Lee Marvin is this kind of like on the line, uh, officer who like kind of pisses off the wrong people but he's like competent and can get the job done so they put him in charge of this crazy idea where they're going to get all these um soldiers who are like either like going to be doing like 20 30 years hard time or being just flat out executed and essentially put them on a suicide mission to kind of like redeem themselves because it's like well we need someone to do this we don't want to send like people that might be better used elsewhere so we'll send these guys and like but it's whether or not he can train them up to like be at the level where they need to like infiltrate this uh, castle that's got all these German officials in there all at the one time on the eve of D-Day. And so the whole movie is like a whole setup of like Lee Marvin taking these guys who have like, you know, all these sort of personality problems and like deficiencies uh, like uh, the returning Telly Savalas, who I just mentioned in Kelly's Heroes. In this, he plays a man named AJ Maggot who plays the like the picture of like the most horrible hateful religious southern bigot imaginable who he plays jerry yeah he he is so like oh he he just wallows in his filth he's so great in this um but it's like it's been almost like why is he part of the team <laughs> like because he's going to like anyway uh so yeah the whole movie is just like the whole setup of them being trained the ups and downs them coming together and then they go on the mission itself and it's just like fuck it's so it's some grim stuff and yeah you're like oh shit he didn't make it like as the movie goes on. It's a real good time. The Dirty Dozen uh, totally lives up to uh, the fact that like it's a cliche to say the Dirty Dozen, blah blah blah. And See? it's like, and these are all the movies that like when Tarantino was like in the process, like after making Jackie Brown, he was like, yeah, yeah, I want to make a, a Man in a Mission tank movie, and he was talking about making that forever. And I then think finally, I've heard of that. Yeah, and then finally, like you know. Eight years, nine years later, he makes Inglorious Bastards, which is like a compromise. It's like the same idea, but it's far more like an of an Italian knockoff of an American Man on a Mission movie than it. Mm. it which there's like an entire like uh, like suite of those movies that exist, and they're all like fun in their own way. But 
I think he his heart was to make his uh his dirty dozen with Adam Sandler in there. Oh, like yeah. it would have been a, a very like he still might make that movie. Maybe that'll be his tenth final film, unless he actually directs a Star Trek movie. But uh, I, I think he'll be a producer on that thing and like the writer. But why would he direct it? I don't know. I hope he doesn't. I, I don't want you him know? to waste. I don't want him to waste his time on that. But uh, yeah. yeah, so I got one more of these like the the, the trilogy of awesome like war movies. Uh, Kelly's Heroes Dirty Dozen. The third one is Where Eagles Dare. With Richard Burton Ooh, and Clint baby. Eastwood, that movie also fucking incredible. One of the mm-hmm. most iconic pieces of music that I think about. Just thinking about the movie, uh, so exciting, involving gondolas and like super fortresses on top of mountain peaks, and oh, it's so it's so good. <laughs> Frank doesn't know about that iconic music. It's kind of like. You know that jazzy sound that like boom, but don't, but don't, no. It's like that, but yeah. not. Yeah, it's it's exactly that. So yeah, I just want to say this is probably the happiest I've ever seen Jarrett talking about a movie. I know, right? <laughs> not even on Royal Tenenbaums, he was this happy. <laughs> no, Jarrett, Jarrett, uh, he's been downplaying it the last couple of years, but he is a big fan of those dad waves. Dad, oh, a yeah, big, big fan of Dad Wave. Uh, when I find a good Dad Wave movie, oh, it's the best thing. I love these movies. Mm-hmm. Like when they're like Planet of the Apes is to me a Dad Wave movie. That's Dad Wave. Yeah, yeah, sure. yeah. yeah. I mean, Patton. Eh, I don't know if your dad loves this movie. It's a little, little too thoughtful. I think it's a little too slow. But uh, uh, the Dark Side of the Sun, that movie is some serious Dad Wave action. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyways, sure. hey guys, you got you got any <laughs> news you want to share? I just read that. Uh, uh, what's his name? Drago just died. Yvonne Drago? B- B- Billy Drago. The the star oh. of Takashi Miike's imprint uh Masters oh. of Horror episode and various other movies. He, if you look him up, you'll be like, oh that guy. He just died. Nobody cares about that. Sure they do. I I, I did see that uh Dog the Bounty Hunter's wife died today also. Oh really? So, uh, oh, I remember seeing you're that. You're in uh, RIP news. Hey Jared, did you see that there was a fossil of Jurassic World's sea monster found just uh, a little bit south of our city. What? I didn't know. Landlocked Creepsville. Uh, they found a sea monster fossil. That's pretty cool. It's wild. Wild stuff, baby. Frank, you got any hot news or uh, is, is mm, news I'm dead? Looking. Uh, pretty much like every day. You, you know, you have your favorite set of directors, right? That you will mm-hmm. check up on every once in a while. Of course, Wong Kar Wai is a regular in my uh, search history. So, this is month old, but you know he uh, announced his Blossoms, which is going to be his next film, and then the Criterion restoration of all his films, which I'm gladly waiting for, as that was the first email in ever on the show. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, oh, hey, speaking of uh, this, so here's like some news. Um, so I'm sure you've both maybe read about the uh, the story of David Lynch and the, the Lost Highway Kino Blu-ray oh, yeah, that was released yeah. this week. So I'm aware. So on Friday, I think it was, David Lynch had this tweet saying, Dear Twitter friends, and uh, going on about how uh, the, 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 this version is from an old copy and is not a restored from the original negative and to wait for the inevitable version of it to come out. So I'm like, oh, and then of course I'm like, oh, what happened the day before? Amazon.ca for the first time ever, ever shipped a movie out to me for date of release. What movie was that? Mm-hmm. 
lost highway and so i'm like of course of course it's already on its way like why wouldn't it be <laughs> like the one time where i'd be like oh maybe i should hold off so it's in my possession i haven't cracked the shrink wrap uh i've already been seeing reviews and everyone says it looks really good mm-hmm. but so the thing that's bullshit that actually is real uh i don't know like reading people's different responses and you have like the various level of like people stakes in these things where they're like, I just want to be a David Lynch fan all the time. And like, he could never do wrong. He would never make a callous business decision. And I'm like, the fuck off. Yeah, he would. <laughs> like the guy's been around <laughs> long enough. He's not like, just like, Oh, like he has this like whole, Oh, I'm a whimsical weirdo. <laughs> and it's like, nah, that's a put on. It's like, there's that video clip. I think RJ, you sent it to me. Someone sent that to me. How angry he is. His, oh, like, so that was sent to me by a friend of the show, Ryan Nagel. Okay, yeah. It's a fire, or it's um, a clip Twin from Peaks a return see, yeah. behind, behind the scenes where someone's trying to tell David Lynch that uh, the scenes are going scene on too, too long. long. What, and what, he's like, who, who what, fucking what, gives a no. shit how long a scene is? Fucking A, man. <laughs> yeah, so like he's watching so, that, he's yeah. so mad. And you're like, oh. Yeah, that's the I don't know transcendental meditation, right? I guess people who are really angry would probably like try to like try to not be so angry, but uh, I don't know. I I love David Lynch movies, but there's like an element where like I think that guy's an asshole, probably a little bit. I, I, I think he's the I think, coolest guy around. I think I might have gotten screwed over more than you did, uh, Jarrett, with that Lost Highway Blu-ray, because yeah. I think you know I didn't announce this anywhere else. I think I was just uh, directly messaging. Uh, Jarrett, it was before they announced uh, the keynote. Yeah. I found a Mexican Blu-ray, and I decided to order it because it had Spanish subtitles. I'm like, you know what? Right. I'm, I'm good with that. It's in English, and it has Spanish oh. subtitles. I'm good with that. So I ordered it, <laughs> and I only have a PlayStation 4. I don't have a Blu-ray player or anything. Yeah. And so it gets here, and I pop it in. It won't play. And it says, can't read disc. Yeah. And so I, I contact the, the company. They're like, no, the, it's original, but you have to play it in the Blu-ray player. So mm. I have it sitting there. It won't work. <laughs> I have that one and uh, was it Eraserhead. Yeah. So what I ended up doing was buying the digital copy for full price, yeah. not even like, uh, you know, through other means or waiting for like a, a discount or anything. And then two weeks later... Jarrett sends me because I'd already asked him about buying it. Jarrett sends me the news. Hey, uh, Kino was putting it out. <laughs> Never fails. Vintage Jarrett. Yeah, you know, I'm bearer of bad news. Me. So oh, he's uh, ruining the day. Oh, yeah. So this is another thing. Okay. So I was getting to. I get the Blu-ray and I'm looking at the back and I'm like, there's not a single special feature on this goddamn thing. Not one. And I'm like, mm. th- then I'm like, oh, what the fuck? And so because I remember when it was announced. Um, the one um, editor of Video Hound or whatever it was, uh, Tim Lucas, he was saying, yeah, I've just finished recording the commentary track for Lost Highway. And then apparently uh, David Lynch, because uh, basically the movie is owned or being currently licensed or owned by Universal. And he has some weird contract with them saying he can nix anything. And he <laughs> did. He just didn't let them put anything on it because he just wanted it to like have he wanted nothing to do with it or something like that. And apparently, nice. but now there's like some he said she said elements of like who said what to who because apparently the cinematographer for the movie uh, said that I wrote to Kino several times and they didn't get back to me. And I'm like, 
that seems strange. Maybe at that point, uh, things with David Lynch had already soured, and it, it was just like, nope, I want this to be Criterion. And I don't know. Now he's like burying the release. It's so weird because it's like, I don't know. It could be a decade before this comes out from some other studio. Maybe it'll never come out, and this will be the only way to get it. So I saw a lot of people getting on their high horses, all having their hot takes, completely based on nothing at all, but like their own like projected feelings about David Lynch or Kino and criterion and it's just like ugh. it's like who fucking cares it's like i mean this is Why the best can't version. we all just get along it's probably the best this movie's gonna look for the time being and it's like we all have bought movies and then a better version has come out afterwards so it's like just suck it up this is the third time i bought this i had it on D- on vhs and then i bought a i had a pan scan dvd and then i had the better dvd that from the states and now there's this one i'm like whatever i'll just fucking buy it because i love these movies I what are you going to do with all those other DVDs that you own? Uh, let them get tossed out into the world and further destroy the environment. That's where. Baby. Baby. Oh, baby. Yeah, mm. that, that's spicy. <laughs> Anyways, I think that's it, boys. Okay. It's time to get the band together, go out there, dance, get shot. Don't forget running through the Louvre. That too. Mm. If, well, if we have time. <laughs> I don't okay. think I even saw that scene in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you saw, so. it in the, you saw it in the Dreamers. Yeah. But it's going to be two guys talking, and I'll be the girl, but I'll be the girl whose mic doesn't work for the uh, review portion. That old-fashioned haircut. Yeah.
And we're back. This is the Criterion Creeps podcast. And tonight we're talking about Band of Outsiders from 1964, directed by Jean-Luc Godard. The tagline for this film, A whodunit, who's got it, where is it now, wild one from that breathless director, Jean-Luc Godard. And the synopsis for this film... Cinephile slackers Franz and Arthur spend their days mimicking the anti-heroes of Hollywood noirs and westerns while pursuing the lovely Odile. This misfit trio upends convention at every turn, be it through choreographed dancing cafes or frolicsome romps through the Louvre. Eventually, their romantic view of outlaws pushes them to plan their own heist, but their inexperience may send them out in a blaze of glory, which could be just what they want. So tonight we're joined by returning co-host number three here, Frank mm-hmm. Solano. Hi, Frank. Bonjour. And he wanted to join <laughs> us for some Godard action. Hot Godard. We've talked about <clears throat> we've talked about this Godard <clears throat> a couple times previous. We talked about that Alphaville Re- just recently. Like we talked about that Contempt, and now here we are once again with Band Apart. Uh, you know that movie that uh, Tarantino named his production company after? <laughs> is that what people say? Yeah, well, it's, it is a factoid. It is an actual thing, but... Uh, Weird. I, I, I feel like that's a, that's an element of the movie that uh, I think is well-trotted. A lot of people probably have sought it out because of the Tarantino connection. So, anyway, so this is a movie that I watched only the, yeah. for the first time, like, six, seven years ago. Um, it was just one of those movies that I was waiting for the Blu-ray to come out. It finally did. And I watched it and I was kind of like, Oh, is that it? And then, cause like, I think at that point I was also uh, like, I really like breathless a lot. And so I was kind of expecting something similar to band of outsiders and kind of being like, you read about this movie. I mean, even re- like reading the description of this movie about cinephiles, I'm like, are they really cinephiles? It's not like you see them like sitting around in theaters and like, like, I feel like, it's like kind of like an they just threw in like bits where it's like hey they talk about movies but like it's not like it's not it doesn't feel convincing to me and I feel like playing mm-hmm. that up is uh totally misleading so anyway oh what's, what's yeah. what, what do you want to say I, RJ I was just gonna say I felt like I I watched the movie and then I went to the letterbox page and I saw that thing about them being cinephiles and I was reading a description I was like noir and western and they act of it and then they get the desire to do it on their own i was like did i watch a completely fucking different movie like i was like where did this come from did i miss it entirely yeah did you guys feel the same way or what do you think Frank? i don't i don't think i i didn't really look into uh the movie that much uh when it came to like the summaries of the movies or anything i kind of went in blind i even bought it blind and everything like, I kind of knew a little bit. Like, I knew the, the Tarantino fact yeah. and stuff. But uh, I was looking through the, the special features on the Blu-ray, and they, they had a little uh, segment where it's like, you know, see the references of the of the movie to other movies and uh, watch them be explained. And I, I skipped over it. I didn't watch it. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't care. Excellent. We're, we're, uh, <laughs> we're up to our level here. <laughs> So yeah, they're just kids. They're not really like, uh, well, not even kids. Yes. They're grown men, yeah, acting like kids. Yeah. So mm-hmm. we got this. This we got this movie. We know about that Jean Luc Godard. We know he's kind of like the one of the major figures of the French New Wave. That he makes films like essays. So maybe don't watch them like traditional movies. Yada yada. So 
here we are with, uh, this is my third time now watching Band of Outsiders. The second time I watched this movie, like just a couple years ago, I was in the midst of watching uh, Godard movies like more intensely, like close proximity to one another. And I like this movie more the second time than the first. And so I found it surprising watching this movie for the third time that I was kind of back to not feeling this movie much at all. Like, it goes back to, like, kind of feeling like the first Mm -hmm. time I watched it. And maybe it's because I watched this, like, coming off of watching, like, super, like, dad-wavy movies, like Kelly's Heroes, The Dirty Dozen, Patton, like, all these war movies that are, like, total traditional Hollywood movies. And then you you hop into Band of Outsiders, and you're like, Mm. oh, you have this really great opening title with like the faces like looping over top of one another, but it's just like simple edits. And it's just like this whole loop, like the way it's intensely cut. You're just like, Oh man, that's so nice. Like the, the use of the like fun music, uh, the, the use of, like Godard's use of like text is always like always amazing. Uh, it always looks so great and is often copied mm-hmm. by every like filmmaker that loves that Godard kind of flair, like a uh, Wes Anderson, I think likes that sort of thing. But uh, yeah, I mean, Nothing about the story of Band of Outsiders has ever really grabbed me. Because um, the it's like these these guys are, they're planning a heist. And they have an inside girl who's the housekeeper there. And they're all learning English. Because they all because English is the cool thing. You want to know how to speak. To, you, if you want to be part of the world, you want to be part of the cosmopolitan scene, you got to know English. So they're all kind of mm-hmm. like, they're, but it's like at the same time, these guys are like half acidly doing it because they're like, well, yeah, she's pretty cool, I guess. Yeah, I'll, I'll learn English. Uh, like, yeah, it's, it's pretty mm-hmm. superficial reasons to do it. But uh, that's life. And uh, so we have these like sequences of them driving. Oh, the back of the heads of them driving around. I don't know. Some people are, I think, are really into that sort of thing. For me, I don't know. It, it's not even like particularly well shot, in my opinion. Like to me, I'm just like, oh, that looks like a guy sitting in the back seat of a car, which is exactly what they were doing, <laughs> filming the scene, right? Like that's what it would look like with like a huge camera. You, you get those scenes where like uh, they're doing the stuff on the streets, walking through crowds. And you can see the people just like looking at the film being shot because they're like, yeah, we don't need to block this off. Cause like, yeah, fuck it. It's like, this is, this is, we're, we're making movies and these people are just part of the experience. <laughs> like that's again, the, the, that new wave flourish of Godard breaking down planes of uh, viewing. Uh, th- is this, this is his follow-up to Contempt, right? I, like that's I'm not. I don't know. I think he did <laughs> Contempt. Then Band of Stars. Is there anything in between? Somebody wants to check on that for me. Oh, I'll, I'll check up on it. Yeah. So because interesting. I don't that, know. You tell them. Ugh. Okay. Thanks. <laughs> but uh, so anyway, yeah, they're learning English. We have, so we have a whole sequence like with Romeo and Juliet being read to one another, and um, it goes on for quite some time, and then we're back out on the streets. Ripping and a roaring. There's parties. There's there's cafe dance scenes that uh, have been used for people putting their own mute songs over top of and calling that a music video. Um, it's been reenacted many a time. Um, it's more novel, I guess, inside the movie than when it gets referenced because it's like you get the whole like aspect. I don't know. For me, this movie also kind of reminds me of Jules and Jim, which is a movie that, like, which is Truffaut's movie that I think is fantastic. I love that movie, uh, and I think it's mm-hmm. uh, a lot more interesting than Band of Outsiders. That's just my opinion, but mm-hmm. I, I feel like the, I find the characters like more satisfying than in this, where I find uh, 
uh, our cinephile slackers, friends and Arthur, I find them <laughs> to be just kind of be like, I don't know, French dudes. And uh, I don't want to be like them. I don't know why I want to hang out with them. And Odile, she's just like, I don't know, th- this girl that's hanging out with them. And so you're watching these three, these three guys hanging out. And uh, they have this heist that they're going to pull on this woman that she's the housekeeper for. And then eventually we get the heist. And it's like, I mean, again, he's breaking down all these genre conventions of these movies that he is writing about um, in the Cahier du Cinema. And he's in, I guess he's interested in it. And a lot of other people who are like big fans of Godard, of this type of Godard are fans of this, I guess, because it's so popular. But I don't know. Watching it this time, I it just didn't find it that engaging at all. But mm. I don't know. Those are my thoughts. Uh, I'm going to throw it to you two now. <laughs> I'm just going to cut these, in these, and oh, say, I will say this did come thing. after Contempt. That's all I was going to yeah, say. Yeah, okay, it was right after. It was the, right, so yeah, yeah, right, he, right, right he, he went from like doing this like huge, like colorful cinemascope widescreen movie uh, to like this like back to small scale, like breathless size filmmaking, like the streets of Paris, uh, like gritty, like stripped down cinema like real people playing out these ridiculous situations while also keeping it real with little mentions about china and like uh godard's like ever blossoming love of like communism forever he loves chinese communism boy oh boy and he'll let you know over the next 10 years but uh yeah i don't know what do you guys think of band of outsiders i'll let rj go first this time take it away frank we already said RJ, oh. you're, go- you're going. Yeah, okay, well, I'm gonna try. I'm I'm gonna try uh, just for um, a little look at the so- how the sausage is made back there. I only heard about half of what Jarrett was saying because of my internet for some reason. So uh, if I start to fizzle out, maybe you guys give me a hand signal or something because uh, it's getting a little rough on, on my end, boys. Some rough cabbage over here. But I'll let you know what I think of a, a band apart. Um, so Jarrett was talking about his kind of like, uh, his, his opinion of this movie each time he's watched it and not like really being into these dudes. And, uh, I have to agree for the most part where I was watching these guys and I was like, what is their plan? (laughs) And then I was like, what is this heist? And I was like, the lady said that there was a mound of money. I was like, what does that entail? Like, what is a mound of money? (laughs) <laughs> and it's like, this isn't very well thought out. And it's like, well, I'm sure a lot of like bandits don't really think out their plans very well. Or it's probably a lot of the time it's like, man, there's money in there. But then they show up and it's like, I don't know, like 10 bucks or something. <laughs> so you're like, oh, OK, I guess maybe, you know, you can give the you can give the the bandit plot a little bit of slack because you're like all right sure maybe that happens um i think this is like a quirky rom-com uh where i don't see i i honestly don't really see the the tarantino stuff i i see like a lot of other people like not even i wouldn't say wes anderson but like i can see where people would make a connection like that but it's got a lot of like rom-com things where i think uh godard plays around with editing a lot where he sometimes edits he cuts things together like with sound or without sound and this movie plays around with that a lot like there's the very obvious one where 
It's like, let's have a, a minute of silence. And then it just yeah. goes silent. Complete silence. And it's like, ooh, isn't that quirky? Uh, but <laughs> I, I think he, he, like, does that, I think, a few other times in the film, throughout the film, too, where, like, um, the one that I first noticed was when the, in a scene that I actually think is really cool, where the, the girl is running from her house to go meet the, the guys. And uh, kind of, like, whenever it cuts back to her, there's, like, playful music playing. But then and it, it'll cut to the guys and there'll be like no music kind of. It doesn't totally do it, but it seems like that's like where the the skeleton of that came from because it does it a little bit. So he kind of like cuts around with sound. Uh, and then he also like kind of edits to where the action is, where it'll be like someone will be talking and it'll be like, uh, I think in this movie he's talking about how or the narrator is like, and then he told her about how he was once on the street and he saw a guy walking funny. And then it'll just cut to him like walking really like, like disabled, I guess is how he's walking maybe. Uh, but it, it's like played off like a joke. So I think it has those kinds of like editing qualities that I think you would associate with like a rom-com thing. So I see it more like that. Uh, I don't think I ever said. Uh, I think this movie is okay. Um, there are things that I liked about it, and there are things that I didn't like. I was more or less, uh, I'm probably in between like Jarrett's take and then a little bit more to being on board with it. I'm trying not to be so not caring and apathetic about all the movies we watch, but I feel like we're in a real funk with these movies lately where it's like, I don't find there's anything like real real to care about in this but i did make some notes about the movie itself that i, I think you guys might find interesting uh-huh. uh my my first note uh was what the fuck kind of parking is that this dude just like drives up to a sidewalk and just like parks his car half on the sidewalk half on the street and then you see him driving around in france and he's driving like a fucking maniac like, have you guys ever seen driving like that in your entire lives? Yeah. Yeah? People are pretty yeah, bad my, drivers, man. People, people my grandfather. Are yeah, see? <laughs> okay, okay, fair he, enough. His, 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 his grandfather's a good guardian. Fair enough. Here, here's my next one. This So the subtitles for this movie, uh, there is a part where people are talking about, like, they don't know something. And uh, in the subtitles, it says, dunno, like, I don't know, like, D-U-N-N-O, like, yeah. I don't know. Uh, and I was like, huh. So, like, I wonder if that was actually, like, something, like, wrote out at the time? Or is that, like, a new translation? And they're just, it's, like, people now writing subtitles for a movie from years ago. What do you guys think? Does that make sense, how I explain that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, what's your I, opinion? I think, yeah, it seems like, I mean, you know, the criterion, they, I think every time they restore something, uh, they'll, they'll try to give them new subtitles and stuff. It mm -hmm. might be just like trying to, maybe trying to cut corners on time, maybe. Or it might, yeah, just be trying to appeal to a, a younger audience as well. So here, here's a little follow-up for that, too. There is a moment in this movie where they do the full subtitle of I don't know. Mm -hmm. So I was like, okay, is it like a slang euthanism almost where it's just like people talking real casually? Like, I don't know. 
but it just struck me because I was like, hmm, I wonder if they were actually using that in like 1960s France or if this is a, a recent thing. Does this matter at all for the movie? Not at all. Not at all. <laughs> but I'm not going to stop until I get everyone's opinion on this. Jarrett, what do you think? I don't care. <laughs> good, good to know. Uh, I I kind of thought that you and Arthur had a lot of things in in common. He was a very unlikable <laughs> character. He's uh he's doping, or he's pouring alcohol into that sweet young lady's drink, trying to get her all all jacked up without her knowing. And I was like, that's a real Duncan thing. Can you hear me? Yep. Am I cutting out? A little bit. Mm. Okay. Well, I'll, I'll keep going until I until I follow. At, 57 minutes and 45 seconds, Jarrett. There is a scene at a train uh, station. There is a fake child at that in that scene. A fake child. Now, is this like because it's like a, a dummy of a child, or it books, or is it a man child? It could be either of those. I have a screen cap. I'll put it on Instagram Instagram tomorrow. But it looks like a little kid wearing like. A, a rubber thing over its head but intentionally trying to make it look real uh, I don't know why it's in this movie I find it very upsetting uh, I'll send it to both of you guys as soon as I'm done talking and you can tell me if you also think it's a fake child but it's definitely a fake child uh, and I think it's weird other than that uh, I think this movie has a lot of <laughs> I'll, I'll send it to you things are getting real Jacob's Ladder in here Okay, um, I think this movie is okay. Uh, I liked parts of it. Um, I, I I do agree with Jared. It's sometimes I found I found it hard to care for either of these guys, uh, and I mostly just felt bad for Odell because I was like, man, they're they're really manipulating this young sweet young girl, and she doesn't see it. So, you know. Yeah. Hey Frank, what did you think of this movie? So from what I'm getting from you guys, I probably enjoyed this the most, but I think I have the same like uh, issues with the film. Just Arthur just being a little prick and uh, mm -hmm. France wasn't that bad. I think it's mostly Arthur doing all the all the dumb stuff. But uh, yeah, you get 30 minutes into the movie and you're like, why, why do I care about these guys? Where I think Odell uh, is most definitely the person that you uh, sympathize with the most. Mm -hmm. Also, I think it has to do with the, with the actors, because Anna Karina, you know, she's a good arts muse and everything. Everybody knows her for that. But I think that she's like she's really given some great performances because of uh, her relationship with Godard. And I don't know maybe how the relationship was at this point of filming, but I always felt like that might affect it's getting, a performance. It's definitely getting worse at this point. <laughs> that's, that's yeah, the, yeah, it's it's going downhill. And I mean, the way that the characters talk about women, <laughs> yeah. uh, about how they you know only think about men, only think about breasts and stuff like that. Her bra oh, under her under the sweater. <laughs> oh, Looks cheer, like the kid's man. wearing a a helmet. Yeah. That's what I was going to say. That's not a fake child, RJ. Yeah, the way his leg is uh, bent. It's it's definitely a fake child. That that head is so shiny. Yeah. That can't be a real person. That's from a cat. You guys it's are crazy. Not, it's not hair. No, but it, it moves. 
it moves like it's it's a anyway, head. Let's, let's not talk about things that people can't see. So I'll I'll put it on the Instagram right fucking now, you, and I'll put you, you know fake what I'm, child. The one one thing I'm not looking forward to is like we've like hitting this point on YouTube where uh, we have like these like real winners now who are like getting recommended mm. recommendations of our shows, and they're they're watching it, and then they just leave the worst comments, the worst garbage of comments of all time. So looking forward to that. Um, it's that, okay. YouTube comments don't matter. Nothing. Nothing matters at the end of the day. But uh, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Even more. Just, just to throw it out there, folks. Yeah, I do like some Godard movies. Vivre Savi, amazing. Two or three things yep. I know about her. Amazing. Perro Lafou, uh, masculine, feminine. Weekend. All great movies. It's just this mm-hmm. isn't this isn't as good as any of those movies. Yeah, I think so, whenever I I looked through the reviews, the first thing that I saw that like caught my eye after watching the movie was. Somebody had written that it was the most uh, was the most conventional, which I don't think I was expecting because mm-hmm. it's good art. But in a way, you're watching it, and it yeah, it doesn't have like that uh, the wild editing or like the some of the other stuff that he he brings like with two or three things about I know about her, and then uh, even with Vivre Javier, yeah, it 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 is pretty conventional in a Godard mm-hmm. sense yeah. of the word. I think it's, yeah, and I think it's those genre trappings he's bringing into the movie, like, as far as, like, it's supposed to be a, it's like a heist movie, and then you can see that there's, like, uh, parts of, like, Wes Anderson Bottle Rocket, where it's like, yeah, that's also, like, it's like a heist movie with a bunch of, like, people who sh- who have no business doing this sort of thing, because they're not, like, they're not violent enough to, like, be good at this, or, like, like canny enough. They're just, like, People, which I mean, criminals are just people, but the, the the more successful ones, you kind of have like a savageness to yourself. And then these guys do not have that. These are just like regular people uh, who, who fancy themselves hard men who want to accomplish this crime. And I get all that. I get all these like ideas in the movie, but I just feel like, I don't know, I'm not really into that. <laughs> like I'm not into this uh, way of telling that story. And even if it was like more of like a straight, uh, perhaps more mainstream presentation of it, I wouldn't care about that version either. I don't know. It's just like mm. a, it's just a tale that I don't like. I don't know. You have to try really hard to get me uh, engaged with it. Otherwise, I don't know. It keeps me at arm's length because of the story itself. And then like there's like the, the obvious like visual elements like the the Godard black and white, uh, the way he photographs things, uh, like all those things. We're like yeah, I get it. Those are all nice. <laughs> but you, you saying that reminds you. We have to talk about how bad the Criterion uh, Blu-ray cover is. It's oh, just a still. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's nothing. It's nothing special at all. Yeah, no. They could have done so much with that. <laughs> That's the thing. I feel like this movie, like it, it has so much that it could have gone for. But at the same time, like you said, he was kind of like relying on on plot points from movies that he enjoyed. And that might have like restricted him a lot more. Whereas I feel like mm-hmm. the best moments are the ones where, uh, you know, we hear the the narration, the the kind of uh, yeah. God voice speaking on how the characters are feeling. And I actually okay, so I guess I haven't really said I, I was kind of won over by the movie over time. Yeah, like I said, the first thirty minutes, I was like, I like how it looks sometimes. Uh, the characters aren't that great in the beginning. Like you get to know them and you, you care even less, I think just because you kind of understand where it's going. 
But I think it wasn't until like the actual heist that I started uh, to like the movie, mostly because of like how everything plays out. Where you see Arthur was kind of the worst of the three, and he, you know, he gets the worst ending. He gets uh, he gets dead. Yeah. So just like he does when he gets uh, when they're gunning each other down in the streets with their fake guns and play de- playing at play acting, he's the one who gets mm-hmm. also shot too. Uh, foreshadowing, right? Speaking of which, that is that death scene is some of the most John Lovitz acting <laughs> I have ever seen. And when it happened for a minute, I was like, "Is this movie gonna like take a holy mountain turn?" Where at the end. <laughs> The cameras turn on themselves, and it's like it was a movie all along. <laughs> because I was like, "There's no one who thought that that death scene was believable." Well, I don't think. No. I don't no think. Way. I don't think anyone's. I don't think it was at all wanting to convince you of that. Well, but like, you don't think Godard at some point was like, "Hey," he like pulled Arthur aside. And he's like, "I know what you're going for, man, but like, what you're doing is fucking crazy." I, I think he said, "Maybe go for it more." I want more intensity, <laughs> faster. Just, just more. Just bring it on a little bit more, yeah. man. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That, that, well, see that, I, I, that, that, see, that, that doesn't even bother me at all. That's like not my, one of my issues with it. I just felt that. I don't know. So continue, Frank. I've, I've talked about mm-hmm. this movie. What, what do you do? You like it? Do you like Godard? Like, how many Godards have you seen? Okay. Um. Let me take a look at my letterbox. <laughs> um. <laughs> Yeah, Godard's one of those guys that, like, every once in a while, if I'm feeling up for it, then I'll watch. But that's almost never, you know? Mm. So, I've seen, technically, I've seen four. Because I've seen Breathless, which, hot take, I don't really care for. Yeah, cool. But Piero LeFou and Vivre Xavier are amazing. And I, I own Contempt. I own A Woman is a Woman, and I own, what's the other one? Alphaville. Okay. But I have yet to see. Oh, no, you know what? I've seen two or three things about her as well. Okay. Well, what about Jules and Jim? <laughs> mm, no. No? Because, <laughs> no? well, Jarrett mentioned it. Like, that, they get compared, right, Jarrett? Well, the, or no. Uh, no, I don't know. That's, like, more my thing. That's, like, I don't know. I see mm. people always, like bring up Jules and Jim. I see people are negative on it. And I'm always like, what? Come on. Come on. No, guys. that movie, that movie's great. Yeah. I don't know. It says yeah. whatever. I think something else that I kind of, uh, began, like what kind of changed my mind as I was watching the movie was kind of how everything falls apart. There was no plan to begin with. You know what they're going to try to do, but it, it starts all just to fall apart. The moment that, uh, they even start talking about it. You know, like it, it just mm-hmm. it's kind of like you bring something up and then it happens like on the show where, uh, you know, you guys bring up some actor. They turn up dead in a few weeks, <laughs> stuff like that. Constantly. So it's just everything goes wrong. Right. And I feel mm-hmm. I think that the way that uh, it all goes down was kind of like the only way it could have gone down, which. I don't know. I don't, I don't know what I'm talking well, it's about. Like, I think, well, I mean, that's like the Romeo and Juliet thing, though, too, right? It's ill-fated yeah. lovers, but it's like only one of them's ill-fated. <laughs> it's like, oh, I, I think kind of like was, our podcast. Indeed, Skype's I trying to kill the our moment that did 
kind of lose me was was the very last bit that they did survive and just the little car ride that they had at the very end yeah so when we got to that moment i kind of like forgot about that i was like wait don't they don't they like doesn't both guys die like in my mind they both yeah. got killed i'm like wait even a minute. in the letterbox the the letterbox summary it says that they meet their fates or something Which, and it's just yeah it's one, one two of them go on a boat ride yeah <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, I think I think the ending doesn't give any real like closure to the story, which is something else that might be oh you know Godard uh, uh, breaking the barriers of film, but uh, yeah no I, I don't think that worked very well for the movie. But I mean, I'm trying to think of positives. <laughs> <laughs> I think, well, I think I think Frank, I think. Uh, I would have, you would have liked the uh, romantic with all your uh, Wong Kar Wai films. So uh, this little interplay of uh, this love triangle, it seems like that would that would be something you'd be into. Kind of, I do like. I mean, I, I see traces of that, like uh, in Wong Kar Wai's films, the narration and stuff. Which is, yeah, it's probably why I like uh, I like that stuff. But there's, I don't know. I think it mostly has to do with Anna Karina's performance, in in my opinion. Why I mm-hmm. like I wasn't as negatively as negative towards this, because honestly, I was engaged. I didn't mm-hmm. I didn't really lose like uh, I didn't really lose uh, track of the film. I was watching the entire time, and it was late when I watched it, which is almost never good for a Jean Luc Godard film. <laughs> To watch his films mm-hmm. late at night. That's more like of a morning thing. But I didn't really ever sidetrack. So I think that that was something I was going to talk about. Is I didn't, I didn't ever uh, lose sight of the film. I was always in it, you know? And then yeah. Anna Karina's performance. I think despite her character being flawed in the sense that the way she was written wasn't very well-rounded. Which, I mean, you can attribute to the times and Godard's own personal yeah. vendetta against women. Um, I feel like her performance is really a standout. Whereas the other two guys, I think the actor for France <laughs> did pretty well, but he did well enough. Where where Arthur's actor just didn't really do anything for me. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I agree. That's like when I when I'm talking to Jared and people on the YouTube are always like, "Yeah, that Jared guy doesn't really do it for me." It's like I get it, but he he's filling the role that he's supposed to play, you know? Because mm-hmm. I thought the same thing. I was like, "Man, Arthur's such a fucking asshole," and I just feel bad for Odell, uh, Odell. But uh, it's kind of that's I I guess it's realistic because sometimes like a friend of yours a guy or a girl will be after someone who's just a complete asshole and you're just like what do they it's like what do they see in that person but there's there's some kind of like attraction that they don't understand and then you're just like i guess go for it but everyone else watching this scene is just like that guy's a fucking prick it's the toxic relationship stuff we were talking about in the preamble yeah it's like Jared and me. It's a toxic relationship, mm-hmm. and it it always has been, mm-hmm. always. But we can't change it, Frank, because we're just. It's like in Happy Together, we're just forced together all the time, and then me and Jared are gonna go to a lighthouse and air our woes. You don't know what I'm talking about, Jared. That's a that's a joke between me and Frank. And one car. And 
Yeah, and the other three fans listening, they won't know what we're talking about either, except for Wong Kar Wei. He's a fan of this podcast, right? Big fan. Big fan. Nothing else to do yeah. in China. Well, well, it is the only Criterion podcast, so yep. what else is he, uh, he going to listen to? Yeah. Well, you guys, do you want to hear about who hates this movie? Sure. Well, then. Mm, yeah, yeah. We got, we got Daniel, who gave this half a star. Not to be a contrarian asshole, which sure, I am mostly. <laughs> but how the fuck did Godard ever get famous? What am I not seeing? What command of cinema am I supposed to take away from his dull, flat, meandering, French-ash bullshit? I mean, fuck me. He's supposed to be one of the greats. And I feel like I'm watching a student film from a not particularly talented student every time. Is it just I've seen the evolution of everything he did evolve to a point where it became entertainment and thusly cannot appreciate the genesis of such in these tepid flicks? Is it because he's actually a ponderous, masturbatory hack Mm. who fooled the world? I don't fucking know. So, Jarrett. Yep. Daniel's a repeat offender. (laughs) Before... Which uh, is quite a bit. Oh, rough. Start again. Oh, okay. So he's a repeat offender. He's a repeat offender. He's got sixty thousand tweets, which I think is telling. Uh, But Daniel is the person with the bio that says, "I'm an insane person who sometimes (laughs) just writes whatever instead of a review because I got bored of the movie." They continue to talk about how they. uh, Whenever they watch movies, they're probably fucked to the gills on drugs, <laughs> really getting into it. Mm. So uh, Daniel's a repeat offender. Of course. Yep. Cool. Good wonder, guy. Well, yeah, I wonder what uh, his previous offender movie was. Um, who cares? Uh, what, what do I got to say about this? Mm, it definitely does not feel like, I, I don't know, Godard does not feel like a particularly untalented or whatever student like he feels no he definitely like his his movies are like there's something to them they're like they're like they look great there's something to the movies but yeah i wouldn't i I wouldn't go that far saying he's a talentless hack (laughs) (laughs) but anyway i i love it i love daniel's probably fucked to the gills that's true rorschach zero zero one and a Mm. half star the first Godard I managed to sit through without bailing since his short yet equally insufferable segment in Far From Vietnam, easily the worst director of probably the worst film wave. <laughs> oh. Watching, what, what other waves are there? Uh, Dad wave? Australian new wave? German mm. new wave? Come on, RJ. American okay. new wave? Okay. Watching wave. this dad wave watching this or any of his movies really especially the later on you go is as painful as it is a waste of your time i watched this so you don't have to basically now not even jesus would go through this much for his own followers oh <laughs> seems unnecessary what is, uh, yeah that's, that was like not even good man what, what tell, uh, me, tell me about rorschach okay so favorite films include uh was it uh, michael mann's black hat from yeah. 2015 yeah okay uh, oh, you're being hacked i think you're being hacked uh, like in black hat 
<laughs> Can you hear me now? Okay, yes. <laughs> uh, on the Silver Globe, 1988, Dreams. That, these are five-star movies? These are favorite films. Oh, that's a, I don't know. Black Hat's a Dr- weird pick, but uh, that Under Silver uh, Globe is a fascinating five-star movie. And then Dreams from 1990. The Kurosawa movie. Yeah. And... Uh, like half star films are just like Neil Breen's and uh, scary movies. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Freddy got fingered and Joe Dirt. Those aren't half star movies. Wow. Those are like four stars at least, both of them. Hey, in big news, there was an article popping around how uh, Tom Green should be considered performance art. Well, I mean, if Shia LaBeouf can do it, why can't Tom Green? Exactly. All right. And then finally, for the hate, we have Nick S. with one and a half star. Given this one's influence on Tarantino and Pulp Fiction in particular, <laughs> I've been dying to check out or check out this, my first Godard film. And while I dug its occasional flashy bits of flaunting cinematic convention, the cafe dancing and moments of silence in particular, but I also dug the cheeky fourth wall breaking narrator. The rest was so pretentious as to be borderline unwatchable. I tried really mm. hard to keep an open mind, but I couldn't sustain it in the face of incredibly long drawn out scenes of two crappy dudes being awful to a dumb girl with some promise of an eventual if anticlimactic non-heist in exaggerated bits of self-satisfied filmmaking pretending to be cool jazzy poetry i can appreciate some experimental takes on movies even narrative free ones but this was a painful slog the star and a half are solely for the dance scene which is an obvious classic Oh, obviously, Jarrett. Yeah, obviously. Doesn't, doesn't that just I, make you like hate, like dislike it more when people say shit like that? A little bit. I mean, I just find it's like when people, when everyone just like hammers on one thing, it's like, well, did you think that, or did you just read that on the internet? Because that's where all my opinions we come didn't from. Even is from the talk internet. about that. Did we? Did we all like that scene, or is it just? Uh, yeah, it's fine. I mean, I thought it was. <laughs> I thought it was good. Yeah, uh, it's like just. It's, it's right. I, yeah. Yeah, I thought it was good. I I had no idea that it was such this infamous thing until after I watched the movie and I, I went on Wikipedia and there's a whole section about the dance scene. I was like, ooh. Oh yeah, Godard is like, just about the dance. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, Nick S is just about Nick shit. <laughs> I think I that right might here? be that might be why this is probably Godard's like most watched. It's the most conventional, right? Uh, that we've seen so far. I mean, stuff like that is easy to enjoy, you know? So, that might be it. Yeah, this movie, uh, yeah, I don't know. At at, at its worst, it kind of feels like fodder for, like, film school essays. (laughs) (laughs) Which is like, yeah, that's like the audience that he's engaging with, though. It's like film theory. Yeah, it seems like most of the criticisms were, like, generally towards Godard himself and his choices instead of the the movie, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It's Godard's fault. Yeah. Maybe somebody else could have made this better. Uh, even like I don't know. I, n- I never want to go down that route, I guess. Like it just it's, it, the movie is what it is. It's his movie and uh, he's got to own that. So, I don't know. It it, 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 it 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 just for me it didn't work this week. Maybe like another time in the future I'll be like more positive on it again, but I don't know. It's, it's, got, it's got kind of a weird 
kind of uh, hollowness to watching it, where it felt like a chore rather than like uh, like a really enjoyable experience. Where I was like, yeah, I get this. Like, yeah, I'm totally on board. Get prepared for YouTube hate. That's fine. <laughs> yeah. Well, they, 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 they stopped listening like 20 minutes ago. Hopefully. Hopefully. <laughs> but I think I'm like I think I'm in between Jared and Frank too. Where like I honestly I thought the movie was fine. I was just there were some scenes where I was kind of bored drifting away, and then there were some scenes that I really liked. But more of for for the movie itself, like the whole part or the whole thing, I was kind of just like, yeah. I was like, I don't know. I don't great, like these guys. Wow. I don't find this, great, great filmmaking. I don't find this story super believable. <laughs> fucking oh, that's, that's all I want. In my movies is. Nah. It's like no. It's like fuck off. That's like that's not what I'm not here to watch movies about. That shit. That makes oh, it's just like it, it makes me mad. You know, it's just like no. Yeah. It, it, movies should be like more than that, and they are all the time. There's so many good movies. I, I tried my best to convey what I like. I just yeah no I mean I don't today. I don't blame anyone for liking this movie. Mm-hmm. Like if it works for you, awesome. Like that's like I'm really glad. Just for me though, I was just like oh man. Yeah. Consider never know. I might watch it again and you might like it more. <laughs> might like it more. Might yeah. like it less. I yeah. don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Sometimes it's like yeah, you gotta listen to all those special features, those making uh, ofs. Dig, mm-hmm. dig real deep, and it'll give you that appreciation for it. <laughs> It know. works sometimes. Um, any final thoughts? Um, that kid Anna- was definitely fake. That, that was a <laughs> fake kid. child. I mean, I don't how care do you, what you guys say. When you turn your head and you got a helmet that looks like it's ten times bigger than your head, I'm pretty sure you would turn your head and like the, the, the helmet wouldn't move naturally with you, right? It would kind of <laughs> have its own... Probably not, <laughs> but I just my my big takeaway here is that I don't know what Jean Luc Godard thought he was doing, <laughs> but I'm not on board with it. Whatever this fake ass child head, so, I see things. So, I see things, Frank. So of the how of, did of, you catch that? Okay, I got one more. I'll throw out there. So of the three movies, uh, Alphaville's the best. Godard so far. Yes, I I agree. Haven't seen it yet. You haven't seen Godard or there. Alphaville yet? Oh boy! I, I have it. I have a digital. It sucks when they're on digital. Well, there's now a uh, yeah. Kino oh, just yeah, put yeah. out the uh, Blu-ray of that, or it's coming out right away. So I'll have to watch it first. After the break, I get gunned down and killed, and Frank and RJ get away on that uh, magical adventure to the tropics, where they spend their lives together. We're gonna get a fake child and move to Argentina. <laughs> Beautiful. RJ, do you know any rich women that we could rob? If I did, we wouldn't have internet connectivity problems. That's true. 
So clearly I don't, or else I wouldn't. I mean, if we could break we, into we her place laughing. and then record the podcast from there. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, I've done worse things for the podcast. <laughs> remember when we wa- remember when we had to watch uh, Four Hundred Blows? <laughs> Funny you should say that because we'll, we'll be watching that again. <laughs> you might be. You can email us at criterioncreeps at gmail.com to tell us how much you love 400 blows. We got a Facebook page. We're on Instagram. We're on Letterboxd. I'm Jared Duckin, and he's Barnlow Frank. Mm-hmm. You are Frank Solano and Mono Kid. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. <laughs> Follow the Frank Solano account. That's the one I think yeah. is uh, most uh, accessible. The sure. more you, yeah, it's, it's your most yeah. it's your most mainstream uh, account. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's the easiest one to get into. Perfect. We'll just uh, say that. Nice. Uh, we've got a YouTube. We've got a Patreon, and you too could be just like Frank and be on mm-hmm. our podcast. And the Arby's on the podcast. That's right. Exactly. We're on SoundCloud, Stitcher, iTunes, Google Play, all that Tumblr. jazz. Next week. Spine 175, Terry Gilliam's Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas from 1998, right? Oh, come on. Don't flub that part of it. It doesn't matter. Everyone knows what that movie is. Everyone knows what it is. Well, no one's going to watch Where the Buffalo Roam except for us. And Uh next week, uh, taking over Frank's spot is going to be Patreon co-host and email regular Justin Peterson. Okay. Yeah. Double headers <laughs> of a uh, special creeping guest. Yeah. And ho- hopefully, yeah. and hopefully next week, uh, the uh, connection is a little better, a little cleaner. We'll, so I've, we'll be able I've, to hear RJ's beautiful voice once more. I've already ordered some new equipment. I got this uh, little like translator thing. I think it's gonna work. If it doesn't, I don't know. Maybe it's time to end the podcast. Maybe that's the sign right there. Well, uh-huh. thanks, Frank. Terrific. Mm-hmm. RJ, mm-hmm. good day to you, sir. I, I was here. And good night. Good, good night. <laughs>